you want me to record now? Let's do it. All right, Keith, Patrick, welcome into the portal, Dream Talking Portal. We have our Beautiful. Uh, thank you. <laughs> we have our returning champion. Um, you may know him from such epic episodes as Angels and Aliens or <laughs> To Be a Man. Uh, it's always been epic when you've been on, Keith. So welcome back. It's good to be back. Good to be yeah. back. And Patrick, I forgot your last name, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Messel, no problem. Uh, welcome back. We had another uh, epic episode of our own on the corner of uh, Arguella and the second no Arguella and Clement uh, before Paul meeting. Oh yeah, yes, which has had echoes Out on the street. Has has have, has had some echoes in my imagination over over the uh, couple of months since the world's changed a lot since then. I I've had to go back and listen to it a couple of times. I couldn't help it. Uh, yeah. We got into so much good stuff. As I have, and, and it depends on my state of mind. Sometimes I'll go back and listen. I'll go, oh, dude, you missed a great opportunity there and there and there. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we could have talked about all these other things. <laughs> yeah, so. It would have been a really long podcast if we had done that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I can't help but just be so excited to see um, the meeting of the minds between you guys. I know that you did meet in person uh, briefly, but I think this is where we're going to really meet, if you know what I mean. Keith is the first one I met. So let me just give you guys the image real quick of my first uh, experience at, uh, you know, trying to come to a talk with Paul. Um, I, I, you know, saw the video, realized he was right here in San Francisco, showed up at the meeting with zero expectations, just like have no idea what I'm walking into. Um, don't really, have never had a non-duality, uh, never, didn't know what a thought saying was definitely hadn't uh, ever been a part of the community or even knew that there was a community. So I had, I had no idea what to expect. And uh, I made my friend Mikkel come along with me, which she, she really uh, nicely did. And we showed up at the church. It's totally closed. We're like, well, uh, okay, we can't go in the front door. So we start like looking around the side. We're not seeing anything. We're like, well, do you think it's that like tiny kind of scary alleyway behind the church? And we walk into the scary alleyway Keith is there and he's like, hey, you guys here for the Paul meeting? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I definitely am here for the Paul meeting now. <laughs> it was awesome. And then, and then we stood around for like an hour outside. Nick, you showed up, a, a couple other people and just chatted and then went straight to dinner. Right on. I'll chat. I'll update the instructions of how to find the entrance. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure that they were fine. I probably didn't even read it. It's just like well, so, maps. So the running joke that night was, uh, you may all recall that Paul and Amelia were coming back uh, to the airport, had arrived at the airport apparently, but uh, were having a hang up with customs. And I continue to be amused by the fact that it was Amelia who caught the attention of customs, not Paul. <laughs> and that was the joke I was that was the joke I was telling everybody who arrived to see. I said, Yeah, they've got them at customs and it's not Paul who got their attention, it's Amelia. That makes no sense at all. How does someone like Paul make it through customs with his life story? <laughs> and his t shirt that says Zen bitch slap, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. He's cool. Let him go. Seriously. Right on. So okay, so that was that was the, the it, first. it was actually a great introduction though, you know. 
yeah, that was the, that was the first time. And 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 uh, yeah, I think it was nice to just kind of meet everybody and and get a sense of the uh, the camaraderie and the community, and then uh, you know came back for the next one. Yeah, and then thinking back, the way that that night tied into also our podcast together, uh, Patrick, was right. I, ga I gave you a ride. I offered to give you a ride. I don't know why I just had you and not your buddy, but somehow the the cards got shuffled and I gave you a ride up the street to B-Star. And right. on that two-minute drive, whatever it is, a couple of blocks, I parked and I said something along the lines of, hey, man, I know you don't really know me. Uh, this might sound a little weird, but would you be willing? I have a podcast. Would you be willing to <laughs> to do a podcast together? And you you said yes. You dove in the deep end. So um, that ties into our the episode we ended up doing the next week to me was towards the end. It, it really stuck with me. You said something along the lines of um, you found, and I also echo this in your life, that if you just say yes every now and then, uh, life is waiting to give you kind of endless bounty of yeah. friendship and, and the good stuff, you know? And there was something about that moment that really encapsulated that, you know, we didn't know each other and, I said, screw it. You seem cool. And I'm really glad that we, we, we went for it because, uh, this is the, the perfect example of that principle It is the perfect example because like I said, I, I showed up, I didn't know really what was happening. And now it's just some guys waiting in an alley, but I'm saying yes to it. Right. And it's been such a wonderful, um, a wonderful thing that I did. Uh, you know, I was rewarded for it. Just like we were talking about, you say yes. And the world's like, great. Thanks. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, even that it gives you some little barriers or obstacles just to make sure that you're appreciating your yes. Yeah. Right. Three temptations, you know. That that's exactly when it's most powerful is when you're like, I don't know, you know, like a, it, there's a risk. You're walking into the darkness. That's that's a principle that's become, you know, I I don't know what to chalk it up to. I honestly don't. Uh, but I I have come to really almost literally believe in this principle that when you walk into the darkness you know like whichever way that is whatever metaphor that is you walk into the darkness you walk into the unknown and you say yes to the unknown and you just you just go for it that's like when every amazing thing has happened in my life every time you know it, it's so consistent uh that that i really believe in it oh man yeah i couldn't agree more so, um, so we are doing a lot of background and context here, uh, but you know, this is this is for the listener, the uh, the metaphys the uh, not metaphysical, the metaphorical listener out there, <laughs> just to get an idea how we all know each other, and we're gonna start getting into the juicy stuff here real quick. But I have to give one last story. My listener, um, you mean us in two weeks? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the, or or our moms. I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> me, me when I'm rewinding this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the the second layer to the the inception of this podcast idea was um, Patrick. You and I. I kept saying, "Man, we got to connect over Zoom, do another podcast." I'm gonna give the very abbreviated version of this. Um, we I had planned to do it a Saturday before Paul's talk. Uh, you had something with your sister that uh, you said you said, "Oh, I'm not gonna be able to to." do that time and I said okay cool I'd already put the time aside so I decided to have my own sot song and I took a heavy dose of edible weed and got really <laughs> really high and then you ended up 
having another change of plans and being in texting me back, hey, do you want to do a podcast anyway? Um, I said, uh, let me give you a call. And I explained to you that, you know, I, I'd love to do a podcast, but I just, I'm too high to care right now. Let's just talk. And, yeah. uh, and I do wish we had recorded it. Uh, it was, you know, yeah. <laughs> so we joked at the end, we talked for like, I don't know, over an hour, like a, a while. Right. And, yeah. and uh, I, we were joking at the end that it, it would have been such a fun and funny. Oh, yeah. But we definitely yeah. spent a good uh, edit out 45 yeah. minutes of laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so there's a good amount of laughter. And the, the quick summary was you'd read about a line or two of Huang Po and then we'd laugh uncontrollably for, <laughs> for ten, five minutes straight. Um, and so Keith texted me early this week with some real choice Huang Po and um, it hit me instantly that you guys need to get together and talk, not necessarily yes. just about Hoang Po, but I saw a deeper thread, a deeper underlining connection there that uh, I'd really love to share with the dream talking listener. So uh, I'm going to mostly hopefully take this one off and let you guys uh, get at each other. And um, if I'm going to set the context in any way, Keith, I, I enjoyed your text just earlier today. Uh, if you guys like the idea of saying, the cue that I like to use in the podcast is kind of when did you get the first hint of uh, there was something else going on here? You know, when was the first hint you got? Maybe uh, you're in the matrix and there is a, a deeper reality, a, a greater underlining truth. Um, so uh, I'll let you guys decide amongst yourself who, who can go first there. <laughs> yeah, I like how you're setting it up like a, a wrestling match. That's it. In this corner, <laughs> weighing in at 150 pounds. <laughs> you said something like, well, and he'll let you guys go at each other. <laughs> I mean, I uh, and, you're, and you're just going to back <laughs> off. You're just going to, you and Mike yeah, are just going like to back off and watch, watch us bloody or whatever, whatever. <laughs> Make love or, or bloody each other. <laughs> Or like bloody each you, other making love. I don't know. I would like to say you're going down, but I think it's more like I'm going <laughs> down and I'm taking you with me. There it is. There it is. Well, so first of all, let me this, and it won't be me. <laughs> <laughs> let me take a shot at this. Uh, I, uh, yeah, Nick uh, had had suggested maybe we have a conversation related to the ninth century Zen master Huang Po. And wow. as a, a little bit of background he about it. <laughs> <laughs> he would not approve. Huang Po no, would be very pissed to know we're talking about. I would have been slapped right right away just for saying that. If it was. You're missing the point. <laughs> In fact, I was, first of all, uh, Nick, you've referred uh, obliquely to the fact that we all met at Paul. Well, let's, let's spell that out a little bit. Paul, and maybe many of your listeners know, but Paul Hederman is a, uh, uh, let's call him a presenter of ideas that are philosophical and existential and um, robustly so. And uh, he presents regularly in the uh, Bay Area and and, 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 you know, some of the themes are Zen, you know, Zen related and related to this term non-dual, non-duality. And 
it happens that Wang Po has been an important figure for Paul. And uh, in, his, in his approach to self and uh, the nature of reality. So one of the things that's funny is, of course, Paul's website and his approach to teaching is called Zen Bitch Slap. And a Zen bitch slap is, you know, kind of a, you know, getting slapped by reality. Maybe you need a slap by reality to get in, get in line with reality. So uh, I was not really aware until I delved into Wang Po recently, this uh, amazing Zen master of the Chinese Chan tradition, that he actually did his fair of slapping. <laughs> he did his share of I wouldn't say he was particularly abusive. I love it. He was no I, I would. Okay, well, I don't know how abusive and by what criteria, but he would be known when someone would come with one of the kind of questions that someone would come with to Paul with. I mean, you know, if you know, you can find Paul Hederman at zenbitslap.com, a proverbial listener. So maybe you already have or or you will. But but Paul is not uh Paul has been known to listen to a question and say, boy, I just would love to reach out and slap you for that one. So in any case, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be challenging. And it doesn't have to be challenging. It's, it, is, it is interesting to talk. How do we talk about someone like Zen, Zen uh, Wang, Wang Po, whose message is so fundamentally, if you have your mouth open, you already deserve to be slapped, right? I mean, there's nearly nothing that can be said. And if you say it, and then he'll spend a lot of time saying it. So that's the paradise. So we could talk about him. I, and, uh, but anyway, that's, 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 that's one, one intro. That's, that's my kind of first shot, uh, Patrick. Um, I love it. Uh, that, that, that's, that's just it. Yeah, he, as soon as you've opened your mouth, it's over. Uh, as soon as you've even thought about opening your mouth, whose mouth? <laughs> what Dharma? It, uh, it, it's amazing. I really appreciate that. And I looked into Wang Po um, precisely for that reason, because I heard Paul mention it offhand. And I, I've studied uh, some Buddhism and, and some Zen before, but I was not familiar uh, with this guy at all. Uh, so I just ordered a book on Amazon and it took forever to arrive. And then um, I was going out. This is just in the last couple of weeks. I've just been going out on the back patio um, and reading Huang Po, and it has this effect for me. I, I really think of it as you know, a, different than reading a different uh, another type of book where you're gaining knowledge. Because when I when I was taking in that book, it felt much more like a practice itself, like an experience. I would like read the book, and I'd get three sentences in, and all he would be saying is like, "What are you looking for?" stop looking and you're like well i'm literally reading this book so what am i fucking looking for stop looking stop thinking and i would and i you know you'd get through a few sentences of this and eventually it would kind of work and without even trying to i'd just be like well what the fuck is he talking about like and, and suddenly i would be blank staring at you know the space between the sentences for just a while until my mind started back up. And then I was like, well, what's the next sentence? And, and sometimes I would be looking for my place where I was reading in, in Wang Po. <laughs> and I would read the same sentence again that I just read and I would drop off again. I would just, I would just be sitting there like, 
what am I looking for? <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys can relate to that to that uh, oh, feeling yeah. or that uh, experience at all, but um, it, it it almost says all that needs to be said, right? The, this this guy is like he he's pointing back with every single word, pointing it back at you, at at this, at what is this or what isn't this or whatever, but right here, not out there let me give you i i was just reading john blofeld uh, you know as a scholar who's written uh, one of the best books uh on uh, on wong po's teachings here is a, a dialogue that has been passed down through the centuries and i've seen it before but it's in blofeld's book so you have to imagine you know, it's a zen center or a zen setting ninth century china and an earnest disciple has come with all the right questions based on his understanding of, quote, the Dharma. And he stands up and just talk about, talk about going at somebody. He, he wants to get the truth. So he says to Wang Po, what is the way and how must it be followed? Wang Po, what sort of thing do you suppose the way to be that you should follow it? Question. Well, what instructions have the masters everywhere given for practice and for the study of the Dharma? I mean, you got just know where that question's gonna land, right? He said, what instructions have the masters everywhere given for practice and for the study of the Dharma? Wang Po, words used to attract the dull of wit are not to be relied on. He calls them shiny toys later too. In direct reference to Buddhism and the Dharma, he says, the shiny toys for children. What do you want with that? Dull-witted children? Yes. <laughs> Dull-witted children. This dude was a <laughs> I want to write a book called Shiny to Toys for Dull-Witted Children. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a beautiful exposition about Buddhism and the yeah. uh, 12 layers of oh, heaven. I'll help you with whatever typing or whatever you've done. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. And so the questioner comes back, okay, if those teachings were meant for the dull-witted, I have yet to hear what Dharma has been taught to those of really high capacity. Wang Po, if they are really men of high capacity, where could they find people to follow? <laughs> if they seek from within themselves, they will find nothing tangible. How much less can they find a Dharma worthy of their attention elsewhere? Do not look to what is called the Dharma by preachers. For what sort of Dharma would, would that be? And then the, the last, I'll, I'll stop here. Well, uh, question. If that is so, should we not seek for anything at all? Answer. By conceding this, you would save yourself a lot of mental effort. <laughs> but of course he didn't give up and who does that sound like all of us here know who it sounds like and those of those of us who have followed anything paul hederman has said uh one of paul's common refrains and i'm not even suggesting it's a it's an echo of wong po it's just a similar stylistic temperamental things i can save you some time here all right, I'll save you a lot of mental effort. You can go searching for what you already are, but it's what you already are that is searching. Go ahead and do it and let me know how it turns out. But I mean, you can just save yourself a lot of trouble. <laughs> I mean, he, 
at, at times Huang Po seems downright dismissive, you know, he, he, it, they're like, they're like, well, what should we do to get it then? And he's like, you can't get it. And they're like, okay, so how do we go about not getting it? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> go meditate or whatever. <laughs> or no, the, the question is like, should we meditate on the 10,000 things? And he's almost just like, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> who cares <laughs> well and and it's really a, i mean just as a little bit of backdrop i don't it's not it's not really a scholarly point at all it's just an information point the essence of wong po's teaching was that the world and the buddha are the same thing right right yeah they aren't different but, things but also no buddha and no world like it, yes that, that's the important thing no matter what you state the next thing is but not that, like it, it's this, but not that, but it's not, not that either, because that would be another that. Yeah. And he just, what was the one I, I was reading to Nick a passage. I, so I came up here to this other house and I left the, the Wong Po behind. Um, but there was this amazing passage. You might, you might have it there where he's saying the, the true Dharma is the Dharma of no Dharma but or they, the, they translated it to make it more clear and it was like the 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 true principle is the principle of no dharma but now that you know the tr the principle of no dharma um it's not that either yeah, so how that there be any no dharma <laughs> principle or whatever and, and that was pretty amazing but then i looked at the footnote and he was like i have he he says in a kind of roundabout way that he has no idea how to translate it and that if you translate it literally, it's Dharma, Dharma, no Dharma, no Dharma, no Dharma, 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 no Dharma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no Dharma. And, <laughs> so but, I, like, I, I but as far as I can go, no, no Dharma. That's <laughs> <laughs> as far as I can handle it. <laughs> so so get, getting back to me being stoned out of my mind, walking around Berkeley, and you read that sentence to me, and I'm captivated, because I can't help but be captivated as you're, as you're reading it. And then at the end of it, you go, I, I, I don't know if that sentence is enlightenment, but it's about as close <laughs> as you can get. <laughs> the things itself. Yes. Oh, the man. reading of that sentence is enlightenment. You said something like that. And I, right. again, then we lost it for another five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a couple, a couple more examples of a kind of Dharma combat with Wong Po. Again, back with a student. Well, from all you have said, Master, mind is the Buddha. Yes, this is my favorite one. Go. Yes, but it is not clear as, <laughs> it is not clear as to what sort of mind is meant by this mind, which is the Buddha. Answer. How many minds have you got? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my favorite one. Uh, <laughs> I, and, when I hear that one, I, I almost hear um, Paul delivering it. I mean, I have to hear it in like a New York accent because yeah. it's like, they're like, oh, master, the, the, you said that everything is actually just mind. What is this mind? And he's like, how many minds have you got? <laughs> <laughs> and Paul would add, how many do you freaking need? Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't the one you've got or that you think you've got been giving you enough trouble because you think you've got that mind, which has you? <laughs> and there's a follow-up. They, 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 think, they think he's describing redefining mind. They think yeah. that he's talking 
about that, you know? Okay, well, how do we go find that? He's like, no, mine. <laughs> Just that <laughs> one. <laughs> the one asking the question. And what's great about this questioner is he just cannot be stopped. He's just intrepid. So no matter how many slaps he gets, so he's, how many minds have you got, right? So the next question, but is the Buddha the ordinary mind or the enlightened mind? Answer, where on earth do you keep your ordinary mind and your enlightened mind? (laughs) (laughs) Upon what doctrine does your reverence base these words? Answer, why seek a doctrine? As soon as you have a doctrine, you fall into dualistic thought. It is just because of your seeking that you make a difference between them. If you were to stop seeking, how could there be any difference between them? Well, if they're not different, why did you employ separate terms for them, Master? Well, if you hadn't mentioned ordinary and enlightened, who would have bothered to to say such things? Just as though, and this is the key, just as those categories have no real existence, so mind is not really mind. And as both mind and those categories are really illusions, wherever can you hope to find anything? So, in Paul, Paul's sense, he, he throws people back on their own devices only to find that they're not their own devices, that there's nobody there who, anyone. That's kind I, of I a, was thinking, too, of another Paulism is a, a faith in a failed system. And what can a failed system do for you? It can show you it's failed. You know, and, and this guy is, is running up on that, against that failed system that's questioning Wang Po. He keeps putting it right back on it. You know, and that's it's beautiful. Uh, hold on. Well, Patrick, I would like to go back to something you said at the beginning, which kind of just stopped me. And you said you uh, you went to Paul's first meeting in that dark alley where we met, and uh, you said you'd never been to a satsang before. You know, satsang is a is was a is a term from from the Hindu from Sanskrit that I think means what meeting meeting in truth, yeah. right? And I, I, I say that. For the listener who may not know what that particular term means, but it's a kind of gathering for transmission or sharing of insight or truth. So you say you'd never been to one before, but you knew the work. So what? What on that night when Paul was being held by customs in San Francisco airport? What? What? What got you out that night? What got me out? Well, I had been I had been planning on it because I did see a, a YouTube video um, uh, earlier than that and. Uh, the YouTube video got me completely fired up and then I forgot about it for a while. And, and later on, I went, I went back to show someone else this, this. Hey, Patrick, you're, you're breaking up. I don't know if you can hear me. All, all the time. <laughs> I should probably go. Oh yeah. Okay. Can you hear me? Sorry. Uh, we can, let me, let me try and go inside. This might end because of the, it's a free account, and if it ends, oh. we'll just restart I think, it. I think. I think it was my internet. Can you guys hear me now? That's good. Yeah, better? Okay, yeah. so reminder, we're, we're saying, what, uh, tell us a story about what pulled you to that first thought song. Right. So, so I'd, I'd seen the video um, or I'd seen a video just super randomly and um, it, it really uh, spoke to me deeply. Um, I'd never really heard 
uh, anyone um, say so many things that I had kind of been looking into or or suspecting. Um, and and then I forgot about it for a long time. And later on, I went and showed someone that video, and that's when I realized that that Paul was in San Francisco, where I lived, and did this thing twice a week, and I could go anytime I wanted. And I was like, "What? Well, who would I be? You know, if I'm like care enough about this to be showing somebody, but I don't care enough about this to go check it out for myself." Uh, and like I said, I had no idea what to, what that was going to be like, what to expect, how big it was. Uh, you know, it, it could have gone any different direction, um, but uh, I, but I stayed open minded, and I'm glad that I did. Well, in some ways, that's similar to my story with Paul. Uh, I've been going to Paul stuff for over a year now, and I had, you know. I think I've heard of the term non-duality in my my approach to things in the Buddhist world. In fact, I, I know that I'd heard about it for quite some time, but I was not aware that there were presenters on, on, on non-duality. I just was not really up to speed on that. And uh, so I was following some of the pr presentations on this great university called YouTube and kept coming across these uh, I say this with no disrespect to Mike, who's sitting there in the room. Uh, this somewhat, so, somewhat, yeah, you hold on to your dolphin. <laughs> no, uh, Mike's got a stuffed animal in his hands, for those of you who can't see this right now. Uh, anyway, no, I, I, I came across these fairly, not off, they did not appear to be professionally produced videos. Let's put it that way. You know, Paul records all of his, and I, and I say Mike, Mike simply puts them up on YouTube, but Paul basically records his talks with an iPhone. So I, it, and it looks like it, which I actually admire. I admire that. I mean, I, that, that appealed to me. I saw this guy with long hair and having a lot of fun and laughing. <laughs> and I just kept tuning in and tuning in. And I, and I went through all the phases that most people do with Paul. You try to get it to slow down. You write down what he's saying to try to understand what he's saying and you realize it's part of the method of the madness and i anyway i had the same insight originally i said wait a minute this guy is uh 15 minutes away from me and he <laughs> presents these in the bay area every week and i i went i went three days later i went uh to a church in near sausalito california and for one of these talks and i've been you know going going back ever since because the uh, just the presentation is uh, really resonates with me on, on lots of levels. So that's, that's the Paul piece for me. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar to my own feelings on it. <clears throat> um, I, I, it's been interesting for me to, uh, you know, I have certainly realized that <laughs> it's the same message again and again, and you look at Hong Po and it's the same message, and you look at uh, a lot of other things and it's the same message. And what's so interesting about it is, is it does, you have a sense of understanding and a sense of seeing at times uh, when you're hearing it or, or sometimes when you're reading it. Um, and then I'll go back later and think about it and be like, oh wait, does that make sense? hold on a second, and I'll kind of like turn it over, you know, 30, 40 different ways, and, and suddenly I'm like, I'm not, I don't remember what I really 
understood that I thought I understood before. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then and then you hear it again, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Now I remember. Yeah, no, and now I got it. And again, the next day, you're like, wait, what was it? Which <laughs> yeah. yeah. is it's been very interesting. So yeah, I've uh, kept coming back as well. Um, it always seems to, uh, you know, be do me good. Yeah, so I've, I've been overusing this metaphor, but I'm going to stop saying that. I'm going to lean into it, uh, the idea of jazz. It's not a perfect metaphor, but it really gets a lot across. Um, the idea of Paul, you know, Keith, I love your definition. He's a presenter, you know, if you want to really get it across to someone who's never seen him before. Um, it you could hear someone else play Coltrane's music. You could write it down note for note when he goes on those crazy runs that he does, right? But you got it, you don't get it unless you hear Coltrane playing it, right? Whatever that is, whatever is being transmitted and music, you know, is a, it's a cliche, but it's a universal language. It's a language we all speak. It, it speaks to us, right? To something beyond words and, and touches an, another piece of what we are. And to me, that's what, you know, I, I get a certain amount of, of value and clarity out of reading Paul's books, but it's a very different experience for me because I can see so much more Nick involved when reading the book. When I go and listen to, when I listen to him talk, especially if I see him live, I'm lost in the performance. I'm lost in Coltrane's music. I'm lost in Paul's performance. And it reminds me of a comedian, Joe Rogan says this all the time that I love, is when you go and see a good comedian, you're letting them think for you. It's kind of the sensation. It's like, a, right. it's not you here sitting and judging and going, why is that funny? You're laughing and you don't even know why you're laughing. It's a sign of a great comedian. And I, I think Paul is the master. I've, I've seen a few live and I've seen a shitload on YouTube in the world of non-duality. The master of, you are mesmerized, you're hypnotized, you're captivated in this way. And it's a truth beyond truth, beyond words, an unspoken yes, that just resonates. And, and there's a million different metaphors that you could use, but the metaphors are gonna be one step removed from that moment of listening to Coltrane play, that moment of hearing Paul speak. That's, that's that? a great description, yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think, or I wonder, I guess, if there's an element um, in that forgetting uh, to where what your mind does, what my mind, does uh or that which is not me or whatever when what mental process is doing is stringing ideas together and forming new ideas and and doing what it does um and it will go in a certain way so you can start with this idea and that'll lead you here and then that'll lead you somewhere else and then and then that'll be combined here and remind you of this and and you'll get that structure your mental process will always do what your mental process does but that doesn't mean it's the only way, right? <laughs> to give Huang Po some credit here, they're still all just ideas, even if it's Paul saying them, but he's not, he is going to be like, let's not go left, let's go right, you know? And then let's take another right, and then let's take another right so we're right back where we started. <laughs> <laughs> <Very> true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're not. I almost yeah. forgot again. There we go. Now okay. we are. Now we're recording. Ready? Action. <laughs> okay. Uh, Nick, you were saying a while back in the first um, 
round of this that uh, you, you referred to the fact that you know, we've all had moments when we've had glimpses and that there's something else going on. And you know, we've gotten a sense that we're in a matrix of some kind. So I wanted to share, I thought maybe as just to set a little framework for my own orientation to this conversation, which we're already well into. Um, in January of this year, I joined a, uh, something I haven't done for quite a while. I joined a school, an online school led by a, um, um, a very skilled presenter, uh, explorer of the non-dual world. And uh, he called it a school for awakening and he does it every year for five months. And it's a, and it's, and it's conducted by zoom and it's an exploration of the non-dual sort of a deep dive into the non-dual path through meditations, through pointers, through uh, instruction, through questions. And so in any case, uh, one of the things he asked us all to do in joining, he said, I'd like, he said, uh, he referred to Adyashanti. And Adyashanti has a, uh, a, a statement along the following lines. People want to know what the most, what's the most important thing. And Adyashanti says, the most important thing is to know the most important thing. Okay, so that cuts to a whole different place. It's for you to have, what is the most important thing to you? So, so Stephen, the presenter, convener and facilitator, ask each of us to write him a 200 word statement. What's the most important? Why are you here? Why have you come to this? What do you hope to get out of this? And he says, and by the way, don't let yourselves be tripped up by the fact that you may already believe there's no me. He says, I'm not going to buy that. There's something from your innermost, as they say in recovery. There's something from your innermost that brings you here. So I'd like you to write me and tell me what that is. Well, you know, that was a very, very good exercise for me. It could have been done by a life coach. It could have been done by a therapist, right? You know, a good therapist say, you know, write me a, what's the most important thing to you, Keith? So in any case, I'm going to read a short part of what I wrote. And I'll just put it out there. And, and I've already told Patrick that I was going to share this. And it, it might be a place to take the next uh, jumping off point. So here's what I wrote. As a kid, I used to climb to the roof of our house and lay on my back, gazing into the sky with no purpose or want. It was like being everywhere and nowhere at once, yet with a definite sense of presence. I've met this spaciousness while sitting alone in quiet cathedrals and chapels, in the company of ancient redwoods, and through transformative psychedelic journeys. Meditation began for me with TM in college, shifted to Vipassana practice, Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein style, with retreats in Barrie, Massachusetts, and Zen sessions at Green Gulch. Other practices have provided invaluable guidance, centering prayer, self-inquiry through Ramana, Nisargadatta, and Byron Katie. EMDR, Richard Miller's teachings, recovery, 12 steps. All of these have provided markers along the way. For this past year, meditation has been more the practice of presence, more emphasis on presence than practice. Simply resting in and as awareness, welcoming the happening of the moment. What brings me to this school? 
that's me asking rhetorically in this, in this uh, statement. What brings me to the school? Having many times glimpsed separation as illusory, I enrolled to join a community devoted to being this seeing, fully, clearly, directly. In retrospect, I think I took for granted that my childhood rooftop experiences involved a separate me, somehow getting happy respites from the way it really is, separate, divided, split up. But what if this take got it precisely backwards? What if the body-based individual self I've assumed myself to be is just a well-conditioned hallucination? What if boundless, welcoming presence is the ground of my true nature? And what if there is no one to suffer? I'm here to live all the way into these questions. As Korean Zen master Sansanim says, go straight, only don't know. So I go on a little longer after that. But I, that exercise really got me to think back to those markers of my life, to when I would go onto the top of my roof against all rules of my father and mother. And they were often away, from, they were always away from that. But, you know, just literally looking into the sky and sensing spaciousness. Mm. And then going on a search for that with Vipassana and the traditional Buddhist method, I'm going to meditate my way into this and catch a glimpse of my true nature. It's a big part of why the direct path, um, the no path, the Wong Po path, the Paul Hederman path, it just speaks to me, to me so loudly. I just went right up to the wall in that path of a gradual progressive using what I am to look for what I am <laughs> as if I'm not what I am. So anyway, that's, that's a little bit of an introduction to a um, uh, framework that brings me to the interest in this, in this abstraction called non-duality. Oh, all right, two things, <laughs> maybe three things, Keith. First, thank you so much for sharing. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, you're a hell of a writer. Um, I can't ever get over it, no matter how much I hear you read your stuff or I read your stuff. I, do, do you guys feel like you're lying on a roof uh, looking at the yes. sky right now because <laughs> I do. I do. I felt, that's what I felt like. I felt like I was a kid again, lying on the roof, looking up at the sky. And the psychedelic so trips. And the psychedelic. Yeah, psychedelic trip. I, thought, I don't know. You look like you looked right at me when you said psychedelic. So <laughs> just be giving it the meaning. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you for putting us there. Seemingly, that was that was awesome. And then the other thing I was going to say was, damn, I'm sorry to make you follow that, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> so uh well, patrick they already said patrick has already i told i by the way, i told him in advance he's like i'm gonna read this and i i didn't say so but i mean i spent some time that to get to get 200 yeah. words i really wanted to con, con, uh condense that so i'm i kind of already told patrick i said look and he's already said he's not going to have time to write anything and i said that's totally cool just wing it i mean the um whatever it is that brought you to this stuff so I yeah. just put that out there. Well, here we go. 200 words. Um, the <laughs> first and wait, do I get to delete? Hold on. <laughs> we need a verb. We need a verb. We need a verb. <laughs> oh, can I only verb? <laughs> only happening, 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 happening. <laughs> 200 times. <laughs> That's my poem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I um, seriously though that that was um, beautiful and I and really resonated with um, I just like 
my own experience and just the really obvious, um, you know, I, I, all right, let me, let me jump into it. I, I think um, the core of what brought me to that meeting, why we're doing this podcast right now, um, at least as it relates to like the message, non-duality, whatever, is that it, when I hear this message, it is not something that comes as a surprise. It feels more like a reminder um, of something that I know and have known and is just is uh, the most obvious thing in the world, but yet somehow we think we miss it. Um, and that that is not, I, I'm like this total idea sponge, right? I, I'm um, conceptual to a fault as in not very practical. Uh, and, and I love ideas and I love concepts and they're all, as Nick and I put it last time, you, you know, they, they're Lego blocks and you can build all these constructions with ideas and man, do I love playing with the Lego blocks and man, have I built some epic conceptual frameworks, but this um, message feels different than that. It's not a Lego, <laughs> you know, it's like the bag of Lego. it's the bag that the Legos go in or something like it's that. It's also not a, not a Lego. Right, right, it, it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not any, it, it's, it's like, it has nothing to do with the Legos. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, and, and so that is profoundly different to me than an I, any other idea that fits in the category of ideas. Like this is an idea about what ideas are, um, which yeah. probably I'm attracted to from the idea standpoint. You know, I'm like, oh wow, this is a really neat <laughs> idea, right? Like uh, no one's ever seen an idea about how ideas don't exist before. <laughs> like, uh, and I think there's probably that element and that's probably the seeking element. Um, but then at the same time, there's this reflection of non-idea. There's just a reflection of, um, uh, of something that, that I feel like I know. Uh, Nick and I talked a bit about my history before, so I, I won't um, dive all the way back into it, but the, the TLDR is that I, I encountered some ideas about unity early on, um, you know, in, in adolescence and then um, going into college. And it really propelled me forwards as an idea. Um, it, and, and I can describe that idea a lot easier than I can talk about the message, right? That, that idea of the unitariness of existence, which is related, it's still non-duality, right? <laughs> non-duality, non but it's like out there. It's like, you look around and everything that exists has all of these different qualities, all these different uh, variables and potentialities and causes and whatever, but what do they all have in common? That they exist. That, and if you start thinking about that as a quality, which everything in the world possesses, then you're kind of going down this path to unity, right? That actually it's the only thing. Um, and it's really taken a long road um, a very long road of following the idea of non-duality as something out there that I can't see because what I am is the perceiving of duality, let's say, um, to, to really come back to, and you are that. 
<laughs> right? Like that, that, that's the piece that's the hardest to hold on to. That's the piece that I feel like I might forget, right? Uh, because all my brain wants to do, all mental process wants to do is go out and seek the idea of non-duality, go out and seek the experience of something, go out and seek the becoming. Um, and, and it's that last piece that might be the most important that actually you are that process. You are that one thing. It's happening now. And, and I think the most beautiful unfolding for me in the past couple weeks, and I won't lie, it's because I've been going and sitting on the patio and reading Wayne Poe and doing nothing. <laughs> the, the most beautiful un, un, unfolding has been um, the question right here, right now, you know, you don't have to attach the here and now, but, but that's where you're going to see it. <laughs> uh, it. It's like that, that process, the magic, the existence coming into being of its own power, whatever you want to call it or whatever words you want to put on it, that is in front of you. You are that. <laughs> uh, and that, you know, as Paul says, that constant availability, um, I think that is what, what, what you will never get as long as you hold it as an abstract concept, as an idea that you're going to attain someday as, as um, some sort of realization or whatever. But no, rather just a, like they say, a tacit understanding that that's, that's what's happening in the seeking. That's what's happening in the failing. That's what's happening in the distraction. That's what's happening in the whatever. Um, that is not something that after even over a decade of buying books, you know, ancient texts from various mystical religions, <laughs> it never got me uh, to the point of saying, this, this right here. If it's not here, where would it be? Where would it be? Where are you, where are you gonna look for it? And, and then I think, um, and now I'm, I'm struggling because I'm going into territory that I haven't worked into ideas in my own head. But then I think I've also been seeing how it's, it's not something to attain, but the process itself of, of, of constantly seeing, of, of not attaining and, and uh, seeing what's happening in the moment has been, um, has been the most amazing thing. Um, so I, I very much related to what you said, Keith, uh, and, and it's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. It also reminded me, if I can real quick, it reminded me of a really specific memory. Uh, I immediately flashed back to you as you described being a kid sitting on the roof looking at the sky, because I don't know of anything that can bring about a state of like self-knowledge or self-questioning, at least uh, like looking at uh, the sky filled with stars, especially, <laughs> and it may just be points of light and, you know, you can put all the ideas you want on it, but I have been struck down and I have this memory. It's not all that good a story. I was just skateboarding one night when I was probably like 18 years old or something. And I'm looking at the sky and thinking how beautiful it is. And then I was overcome. I was overcome in a way that I can't really put words to. And the next thing I know, I'm on the ground and I've scraped my arm and I'm still overcome. And I was lying on the ground in, in the street, looking up at the sky and think, and I could almost hear my thoughts 
dimly in the background, like, you, you idiot, you fell off your skateboard. Because <laughs> you got distracted by the sky. <laughs> and yet also simultaneously in that moment, feeling that, feeling, feeling, um, feeling my being, feeling being in that moment uh, fully um, and not caring that I was on the ground. Wow. Damn, uh, I don't know if that was 200 words, but that was pretty damn beautiful too, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was looking at the sky and falling words. off the skateboard. <laughs> I'm not good at structure. <laughs> no, that, that, was, that was awesome, bro, for real. Um, I, that, that being, both of you brought me back, looking at the sky, laying on the roof, and looking at the sky, right, because I used to skateboard too, looking at the skateboard. Uh, yeah, that, that thing that can't be put into words, that wonder. You know, that, that quote, I always get it wrong by Rumi, um, trade in your cleverness for, or your cleverness or your wit for, for wonder or for awe. Something yes. like that. Uh, yeah. And that's it. Like that, you know, all the ideas, all the Lego blocks in the world can't measure up to the awe, to the wonder of this. Man, let, let, yeah, if, I can, if I can, if I can edit and give you the, the, man, that's so spot on. And if I could edit down that entire thing down to five words, it would just be like this. I thought it was the search for truth, but I think it's really um, the search for awe. Like there's mm. nothing, uh, and, and maybe, maybe where those two things collide. <laughs> I know for me, one of the things that has just been a hallmark of, of what we're talking about ex ex experientially, has been the way in which those moments um, come with a, the authentic, the sort of the seal of, let, let me put a little framework on this. I remember when I first started studying Buddhism, uh, practicing in the gradual progressive Vipassana path, and I would read stories about when someone, when a student in a Zen center, in a Zendo, would have an awakening, have a Kensho experience, Satori, and you know, go rush to see the Zen master, and then there's a little bit of a conversation back and forth to sort of uh, see if you really got it, right? So I've always had a picture, what would be the mark of authenticity to really, what is true nature? And so the hints that I've had, the glimpses that I've had, whether it's through pointing out experiences that have been presented to me in those moments of readiness or uh, non-dual meditations or simply the teachings of Long Chempa or any of the other great uh, Wong Po, that's the mark of authenticity is Remembering, recovering, mm -hmm. this is what I always had. It's a little bit like the name of Paul, it's like Paul's latest book on having never left. You, you know, you, you're on the far shore and you want to get to the, you, you're, you're at this shore and you want to get to the far shore. And so you do all the practices, the spiritual practices to get to the other shore. And upon arriving at the other shore, it's on, never, on having never left. That there is no two shores. There was always one shore, and it's the remembering that this is who I really always am. And it is a, so for me, the, the recognition, oh, the experience of a separate self as, as, as a non-viable construct always shows up as, I forgot again. <laughs> that, 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 that the forget, you know, that when, when the separate self gets busted, or I realize that the, the story, as Paul often says, there's a lot of holes in that story. The separate self story, it's just a lot of holes. It holds itself together by spit and bailing wire. 
yes. compared to when you have a direct moment of your nature as awareness or presence or something, the authenticity is this is what I always am and I keep forgetting. It's not learning anything new. I always thought enlightenment, oh, learning something new to add on to the self. No, it's a recognition that that, that who you are is who you always have been and, you, and there's just this forgetting process and the, mem the remembering of it is such, comes with such a stamp of peace, nothing to do, nowhere to go. This is, this is who I always am. This is what I always am. This is what is, well, or this is what is. Even, you know, every now and then I'll be in, the, in line in a completely mundane uh, secular context, like standing in line at Trader Joe's. And I'll just have a moment when I'll, a question will come to me. I'll say, what is this? Mm -hmm. Meaning, what is this, right? And so the answer, an answer will come. It's this. And then I'll say back, it's like a Dharma conversation. I'll say, but what's this? And the answer is just this. And I will look at the cashier and she'll look at me like, are you okay? <laughs> and I want to say something like, you know, we're free, right? We're all free. You know, you do know, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah, yeah. I'll sound like I'm a schizophrenic and I need to be taken on. And this is before the masks and everything. I mean, this is, but this literally happened one day. I said, what is this? And I said, it's this, it's buying food at Trader. Like you said, uh, Patrick, um, it's just, what else could it be but this? I've been looking for this and it'll be luminous and radiant. And guess what? It is. It is. <laughs> but it's not the luminous and radiant that I had pictured. I thought I would, there would be golden dakinis and the Buddhas flying around and all. And uh, there's that too. But that's there the there, there, are. there. There's a Buddha there and we're home. <laughs> <laughs> and it's why when Paul often says, he says, I, do, I go into a bookstore. And I have no interest in going to the spiritual section, he says. I just don't, I, I don't, don't want to read about that anymore. I'd rather go read fly fishing or a cookbook or uh, <laughs> how to change a carburetor in a car. But no, and I know that. Now, and that's one thing about Wong Po. Uh, the, the last two authors I really am interested in and, and that I can literally read. I, I can't read any spiritual stuff anymore, except for maybe the Upanishads. If I'm really feeling, you know, going to source some material. But do, do you know uh, how often I bring up the Upanishads socially and people look at me like a crazy person? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you guys got to read this. Uh, I, I, I did. I didn't get a chance to write down my 200 words, but I did. Uh, um, just I don't even remember the train of thought, but somehow I, I, I was like worried about whether I'd have anything to say on this podcast and, and whatever. And then I had some train of thought about something I wanted to say about the Upanishads that I can't even remember anymore, but I ended up in the Upanishads today, earlier today, and I pulled up um, Katha Upanishad, which is, is the one I always think of and the one I always remember, and I, it's so short. I just, I just read it in about 10 minutes earlier, and every time, I, I mean, that was a major influence for me was reading that the first time I had already had some of these ideas and I was like, Oh, they wrote it down like 3000 years. Ago. <laughs> I thought I came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time, there was a time when I was thinking about 
existence being unitary and, and this quality and whatever. And I think I was even, uh, I don't know, I picked up the word non-duality at some point, but I had no idea, no idea that it was maybe the most prolific teaching. <laughs> I was like, I'm the only one who's ever thought of this, everything being the same thing sort of thing. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. I just got really excited and went off on a tangent, but I read Katha Upanishad earlier. I'm so glad to hear that you're familiar, Keith. Uh, that, that story, which I haven't read in a while, um, it was like reading it with fresh eyes, uh, just since what I've learned or unlearned or experienced in the past couple months. Um, and I saw exactly, yeah, I mean, it just seems like this very clear metaphor where before it was like a nice story with some mysterious ideas uh, about non-duality that I was interested in. Now it seems like this very clear, like, okay, he, he went to go visit the God of death, but the God of death wasn't there. What does that mean? He's still alive. <laughs> still alive. <laughs> then the God of death visits him instead. And instead of being crushed in the God jaws of death, death teaches him some things. And he teaches him, he teaches him just some useful things for his life, right? Some, a sacrifice that'll help him get to heaven, you know, good merit and all that. And, and uh, he, he gives him this boon that his, his father won't be angry at him anymore. Uh, and then he says, no, 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 no. What I want to know about Yama, king of death, is where do we go when we die? What else would you ask the king of death? It's... <laughs> That's what I would ask too. <laughs> Where do we go when we die? What is death? Anyway, you just said I can go to heaven, but what does that mean? Like, uh, am I going to be around for it? And he's like, no, 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 no. Death. You, you don't want, you don't want that. Uh, you like, I'll make you rich. I'll make you famous. You can have as many women as you want. You can be immortal. Um, like, uh, look, I'm at your service, but don't ask me to tell you about that because it's not for you to know. And he's like, look, <laughs> you said I get a third boon. I want to know what happens when I die. What would I need with all that stuff if, I, if you're just going to take it from me at the end anyway? And he says, all right, man. All right. Uh, sure. Let's talk about what happens when you die. And then he goes on to put into very clear language, um, maybe not as clear as some of the, the things that we're aware of, but for me, the clearest thing I had ever seen of everything's the same thing. You're that thing. It's you being that thing that keeps you from seeing that you're that thing. <laughs> it's you seeing yourself as that thing. And if you realize this, then, you know, you won't be the one that has any problems and you will, you will just be that which is and that which isness stems from. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty straightforward. That's pretty simple. <laughs> Well, and that kind of brings us around and what's coming to mind is uh, when we started talking about this, uh, Nick, you were at the very beginning and when, when you, Patrick, were going down that alley to Paul's talk that night and Nick said, uh, you know, those times when you say yes. Yeah. And I mean, that is, I mean, if someone were to ask me, what is non-duality? You talk about this and it's about saying yes. You're saying yes to everything. And I would qualify that to say, including saying yes to no. Yeah, because you have to say no sometime. In fact, someone said to me once, and they said, "Well, yeah, but isn't there times when you have to say no?" And I said, "Yes, 
You have to say yes to no. <laughs> you have to say yes to no sometimes. So yes, finally, is the final word, <laughs> including when you set the boundary to say, no, I'm not going to bail you out this time. I'm sorry, I can't do that. But, yeah, there's always, a, there's always, the no is for a yes. What's the yes behind the no? But in short, shorthand, there is a reason that if, if no, don't go get hit by a car out in the street. Because you're yes, saying yes to something else. For your playtime safely. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking too, kind of just energetically, something I always liked was uh, uh, love and fear. There's, you can say no out of fear or you can say no out of love. And it's a cool, just little metaphoric energetic thing, but it's night and day, you know. Um, yeah. And you can say yes to it. You can say uh, yes to uh, no. You can, <laughs> the no that is based on fear, yeah. nothing wrong with that either. Yeah, I yeah, mean, no. you say the whole dreaming is that. The whole dreaming is an experience. Okay, you want to experience what no is like? Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> and you can say yes from fear, and you can say <laughs> no from love, and, and, and from what sees all of that process play out. You know, it's, yeah. uh, there's a teacher I, I mentioned in my little thing that I read a little while ago, Richard Miller. I don't know if you know him. He's uh, uh, a really fine uh, long-term teacher in the non-dual world, not terribly famous. Um, he, uh, he has a phrase, uh, unqualified non-dualism. It's a, it's a way, it's, it's an, it's a way of, of touching on that. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, like I remember once Jack Cornfield, the Vipassana teacher said, um, it's, it, he's, he's, he's a great speaker. He said, there's nothing wrong with thoughts, but you just don't want to invite them in for tea. Right. And, I remember Richard Miller addressed that. He didn't, he didn't really, he didn't, wasn't speaking of Jack Cornfield, but he, 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 made, he made the same statement once. He said, not only is there nothing wrong with thoughts, and you can invite them in for tea. There's nothing wrong with inviting them in for tea. Go all the way. There's nothing wrong with thoughts. They can't hurt you. They are... You know, they are just in the process of going somewhere and it's the holding on to them that makes them, I need to release this thought, this thought, I've got to let go of it, blah, blah, blah. It's trying to let go of you. It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> Invite it into tea. Invite that thought into tea. What's wrong with inviting it into tea? There's nothing wrong with your thoughts. Uh, so anyway, unqualified non-dualism. Yes to everything, including to yes to no. Yeah, the framework uh, I come from. I don't always. I love, I don't I love always what you said about the thoughts too. I I, I feel like earlier on, uh, if there was a journey, <laughs> uh, earlier on, you know, I I was like, okay, so Buddhism's meditating, right? Buddhism's meditating. That's like what they do, and that's what the Buddha says to do. And so I read the books. Okay, I got it. Got it. I'm gonna. Focus on my breathing and make thoughts pop up. <laughs> and kill that thought. <laughs> and it turns out really bad at that and it's super stressful. <laughs> right? okay. If you try and if you just try and not think, you sit there and not think, man, that is the sure fire way to never meditate again. You're never gonna do it. Uh, because you're gonna fail. You're going to feel really bad, and you're going to be like, oh, I meditated wrong. I meditated bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it, it's only recently that I've, that, that it, very recently, you know, that there's been this whole unfolding just, just in the past few weeks. And, and it, it goes along with what I was saying about sitting outside, doing nothing, 
reading Wang Po, once that nothing starts, it's like, that was very convenient because I didn't have to do anything to get there. And I didn't have to go try and not think. Wang Po kind of did it for me. <laughs> you like, confused me. I'm like, oh, what? Oh, this? Wait, what? Which this? This, this? Oh. Patrick, I, I gotta, I've, I'm sorry to ask you to do this, but you gotta share, oh. um, you'll say it better than me, on, during our phone conversation, you said something along the lines of, I read a line of Wang Po, my thoughts break, <laughs> and then I'm left there in silence. That, Do you remember saying I mean, that? Yeah, yeah, I think you said okay. it. Uh, that, that, that's exactly it. I, I'm, I'm sitting there reading Wang Po, and then my thoughts run into themselves. Uh, and, and, then, and then it's 10 minutes later, and I'm just kind of sitting there blinking my eyes, wondering what I've been doing for the last 10 minutes. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to imbue any special significance, but that's just, uh, I don't think it's Wang Po so much as it is, there is a style of thought. Um, and this is what I've been experimenting with lately, I guess. Instead of, this is the alternative to what I was just talking about. Instead of chasing away thoughts or saying, oh, don't, don't come in here. I'm doing peace. I'm doing peace in here. And there's no thinking, like totally missing the point. You have to see it first. I think that's still the first step because you got to see that that's true, uh, even if it scares you off from meditation for five years. Um, but then later, yeah, just like watch your thoughts, watch where they go, and then have more thoughts about your thoughts if you want. Uh, and, and those meta thoughts, this is another thing I was talking to Nick about. It, it can be a lot of different things. I have ended up, I'm just kind of letting myself think, like you said, Keith, you know, I'm inviting them for tea, but I'm just trying to be the one there, I guess, perceiving myself thinking. That's it. Wherever I go from there doesn't matter. Um, but if I forget that I'm the one thinking it or, you know, I'm not being aware of being aware, then I'll just kind of remember that. Um, but there's a bunch of different questions that you can ask your thoughts. You can ask them, um, where, where is that thought now? You can ask yourself, who has that thought? And I think that's the most Paul method of all, uh, who, who's even the one that's having that thought. I've been really liking, when is that thought now? You know, or, or like, when is the thought that I just had? Or, or where is it now, right? I just had a thought and that led to this thought. So where's the last thought? Is that in this thought? Is it anything at all? <laughs> and that will inevitably run my thought back around on itself. And I won't, I won't be trying to get there. I'll just be genuinely asking myself about the contents of my, of my mind, just checking them out. And it clears out all by itself. And that has been like brand new <laughs> and uh, uh, so wonderful. Oh, that is that really uh, hits home for me, uh, Patrick. I, I one of my uh, turning points in in my long period of doing uh, gradual, progressive vipassana type meditation was I would attend these ten day retreats at places like Spirit Rock or other other retreat center. And, and great teachers, I love Jack Cornfield. I mean, Joseph Goldstein is not as well known, but a very th these two guys really brought the insight meditation tradition back from Burma and Thailand. They were Peace Corps volunteers and they came back in the 1970s. So they are really cultural heroes of mine. But yeah. I would do these 10 day retreats of, you know, a sit and 
and, and let your breathing be your primary anchor wherever you notice the breathing in your abdomen or your nostrils. And when you find your mind has taken you away, notice that and come back. And uh, there was just, eventually I came to realize I was like always sending out a posse to find what was going wrong. I said, okay, I, once again, I've left my breathing. Uh, I got caught up in thought, I better get back. Gotta get back. Got, and it's that whole, that continuous sense of, number one, I'm not doing this right. Um, I have to keep getting back to breathing. And what was never pointed out to me, to the best of my knowledge, was the possibility that among all the objects of awareness that meditation, you know, you could observe a thought, observe a sensation, observe a feeling, they're all, but they were all things that were out there somewhere. Never was there an invitation to look at the observer as an object. Never, now of course, the, the funny thing is, not funny, uh, when, you, when you take the Buddhist path, uh, and you know, what are the different schools? Dzogchen is the path, the, is, the, is, the culminate, is considered the culmination in Buddhism because it, abs it, it takes you right to where Wang Po is, that uh, to this radical non-dual position, and if you think there's an observer, notice that that's an appearance arising as well. And so when you, until that happens, right on it. <laughs> oh, anyway, Advaita is the same way. You can do, it, you can do traditional Advaita uh, Vedanta practice in a very conventional sense. Um, I remember Keith, I told you, I shared Keith, this. You're, with on, you're on such a good run, Keith. We're gonna we're gonna get kicked out in 30 seconds, so we're gonna have to uh, yeah. stop the recording and then get back on for another 40 40 minutes. Okay, I want, I want to talk about this, Keith. So come back good. in the room. We'll come back <laughs> in the room. Okay. All right. We do it. Yeah. See you in a sec. God. This is. There we go. Recording. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to note. You you said something just now about you're just you're just observant you i mean so so that that kind of summarizes like the new way of meditation for me i don't know just watch just watch that's it <laughs> step one step two see step one um but but maybe that <laughs> been step three <laughs> i want to remember that for recovery <laughs> the only step you have to get perfectly is step one yeah right and, but but what you've been said is this this extra stepping back so that you're like, watch your observation of something. And that is absolutely like, it, that's what, what, whatever I've been reading lately, it's like pointing back at this moment of being aware of my thought of what is aware right now, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and I'm trying to observe observation happens or witnessing the witness or, or whatever you want to say. Um, and then, I feel like what you were just saying, Keith, refers to like, and then you take that, and now you say, but that is also an obser observation of perception. And so that's not the witness either. Now you, that's just more things that you're witnessing. And the idea of that, and the idea of that, whatever you can preserve, and you can just keep going back, 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 back. I it's also a, thought of, go ahead. Yeah, it's an infinite, it's, there's a re, in, infinite regress about it. I, I have to give, I really credit, and I know Nick does too, because we've talked about this, credit Sam Harris. Uh, he's not unique. Well, he is unique, but he's not the only voice out there. He comes, he, he as you probably know, spent many years on the, on the path of really seriously uh, exploring meditation. 
And one of his pointers often in his meditations, which he produces on his, uh, his application, what's, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, waking up. I got to put a benchmark here. This is the first time the guest has brought it up before me. So <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I bring it up every episode. Waking up. He's, he's an unofficial, unpaid advertiser. I always say, go one month for free. Try it. It's the best thing I've ever found. It's the greatest app on my phone for sure. So one thing in a, in a Sam kind of classic Sam guided Sam Harris guided meditation, and this is traditional uh, Dzogchen teaching. You know, he said, observe your thoughts, notice them rising and falling, observe sensations, uh, allow it all to be there, and then notice. This was a key for me. He's notice. Does there seem to be a sense of a center of attention? Uh, do you notice perhaps that you? Okay, that's a good question. It's directing you to pay attention to something you might not have seen. Do you get a sense maybe you are looking out from behind your eyes? Yeah. Notice that that too is simply appearing. Yes. And it wasn't the first hit of that I'd gotten, but that any often will say, uh, when, I, when I say notice your breathing, do you get a sense you're looking down on your breathing? Like if, you're, if the place you're noticing your breathing is your abdomen? It just sort of asks a question, nonchalant. Oh, by the way, do you get a sense you're looking down on your breathing from up here where awareness is? Do you, right. If that's so, notice that too is appearing in the already always existing space of awareness that you are. So it's this constant decentering of a self. You can work all day long to say, I'm not a self, I'm not a self, I'm not a self. But only until, well, not only. For me, it was a significant moment of recognizing that the sense of being behind my eyes and in front of the back of my head, probably right in here somewhere, you know, it's a pretty standard uh, experience. And then to just to be invited to consider that too is as much an appearing as the breath or the sound that you hear outside, right? And they're all appearing in consciousness, which is the prior space in which everything emerges. And that is the non-dual bingo recognition. I, you, I just, I feel like I'm resonating so strongly with what you're saying, uh, Keith. Uh, and a, a minute ago when you were pointed that out and you just said, and then I'm realizing that I'm observing that too, me, Nick and Mike all at the same time started nodding and putting <laughs> our hands in the air. We're like, yeah, preach. <laughs> and one of observe the yourself observing and then realize that's an observation. Yeah. And one of <laughs> you know Paul sometimes tells the story of somebody who comes to one of his satsangs and says, Oh, I've been meditating for 50 years and and Paul recognizes, oh, here's some pride of ownership in meditation. Right. And uh, Paul will sometimes say, man, if I find myself on a bus where I've been meditating for 50, you know, where this is a bus of people meditating for 50 years, I'm going to pull the pull it right there. Let me off in the middle of the block. I don't want to be on this bus anymore. I had an experience that was, it was one of the recognitions that I had gone as far as I could go in the way that I was doing the gradualist progressive, observed thoughts, which allowed a sense of an observer self, but called the witness. See, Buddhism called, oh, good, you're developing the witness. Well, no, the witness is also just another arise. Well, anyway, I remember in these 10-day retreats, 
that about day eight, whoever was leading the, the meditation retreat said, we're going to be focusing today and tomorrow, since it's the last two days of the retreat, on the fact that we're about ready to go back into the world. And there will be a lot of, uh, you know, distractions. And I began to say, well, wait a minute distraction yes and it's going to be difficult to hold on to this space and i go whoa 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 whoa! we've been cultivating a special space here i thought we were getting in touch with what you're so i mean i didn't have it quite this thought out let me be honest about that yeah. but over time what i now realize i was coming up up against is what you know the non-dual tr tradition says the way you know that this anything is an object versus the seeing the witness, witnessing versus the witness. Anything that can be witnessed uh, is something that comes and goes. It rises and falls and any state comes and goes, but the seeing never comes and goes. That's how you know it's the seeing. I mean, that's, that's a kind of a glib way to put it. And I thought, well, wait a minute. We are producing, so we're gonna, uh, there's a danger that we're gonna lose this state we've been working on? Then it's not the real thing. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the, the end of the 10 day retreat was how to hold on to this. And I, I talked to a non-dual teacher later. He said, Keith, I came to the same place. I came to the same place in Zen. I knew that the mindfulness tradition had taken me as far. It had cre created a, a new kind of dualism, a new kind of duality. I was a spiritual self standing out here above the world. Anyway, that moment of recognition, wait a minute, if we have to work to maintain this quietude when we go back into the world, there's something wrong with that right. framework. And I, I look, that was just the, I'm, I'm sure that that was, well, it's what it was. It's what it was. It's when I stopped going to retreats because uh, if it can be created in a retreat, it can be lost when the retreat is over. So it's, mm -hmm. an, it's a rarefied object. It's, it's, it's creating a finer object, a more subtle, spiritual object and that's not the that's not the radical subjective place of non-duality just more shiny yeah. toys for dim-witted children <laughs> <laughs> <don't know> that. <laughs> that's part of it, too. It, it feels so judgmental but i can't I, I i'm admitting this that i i can't help but now look at buddhism a bit differently you know what i mean i'm like how is that not true how can that not be true uh you know that all of this it's just more concepts. It's just it's just a bunch of stuff. It by definition, it is it is structure. It's something that's been told. It's something you know. And no doubt, there's a purpose. No doubt, people are getting something from it. But it can't be that, you know. What it can't be. If you are what you're looking for, then uh, then the whole I don't know ornate um, structure of of Buddhism itself is is just a shiny toy, right? Yeah. Well, Wang Po, address, speaking of Wang Po, he addresses it somewhere in, in, in many of his sermons where he says these are mere concessions, that much mm -hmm. of the path that you, that you students who are, what is the right Dharma path? Tell me the ways, tell me the stages, Wang Po. And he, he basically says, look, these are, con the, that those preliminary stages are mere concessions for the average practitioner who does not want to and is not ready for, for the radical emptiness teachings and so on and so forth. I mean, John Cleese, of all people, the comedian, uh, who's actually very much of a mystic, I heard him 
talk once about about his mystical worldview, which is fun to hear John Cleese talk about (laughs) mysticism, because he never quite lets go of that Monty Python uh, voice, even when he's being very serious. But the interviewer said, well, uh, Mr. Cleese, what is the difference between mysticism and what we would call the Church of England or a conventional religion? And Cleese said, well, look, all of that's very good with crowd control. <laughs> but it's not said, it's, social it's movements not, are social movements you know? yeah it's not the it's really not what would, it's not what the great mystics of and i go religion is a very good means of crowd control bingo right. it tells people be good or you will go here or be but if you be bad you'll go there so right. when and Long if you look Post at Buddhism has, as practiced in all these buddhist countries around the world there's a whole level of it where it's, you know, the Ten Commandments. And it's like <laughs> well, Rupert Spira talks about, I was saying this to Nick the other day, Rupert Spira tells a story that when he first, uh, when he was getting into the Advaita, the, the really the non-dual, he realized, I've got, to go to, I've got to go to India because my God, this is the source of all of it. And I will find, I will find radical non-dual presenters on the street corners. It'll be everywhere. Be the hardest place, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he said. He said he got there and he realized everybody who had even heard of the non, you know, the, the Advaita non-dual uh, was not interested in it at all. They they wanted uh, very devotional practices with gurus and wapu and want to know the recite the sutras and bow fifteen hundred times. He said, "I realized I had to get back to the West as soon as possible because it is right now in the West with people like Jean Klein." at that time and uh, other other of the non-dual teachers in the what there you go oh, okay. the, this is brand new for me john klein is is uh, oh man i was I mean, john klein was long left the world before i got into this stuff but i have come to appreciate how many people he has been a profound uh, teacher for um, anyway it was rupert's experience that uh, india was no longer the fourth in terms of the liberation practices, literally the awakening practices and the awakening, uh, India was not only not the pioneer, but it would be it would be the backwater. You could find, right. you could, yeah. This is this is touching on some themes that that came up um, uh, on the, pod, the last podcast that I did with Nick. Um, I'm very interested in the development of religion itself, uh, and Hinduism I think is just like a perfect encapsulation of something that you actually see everywhere, but it's laid out in this really nice way in, in Hinduism, where you get the Vedas, natural religion, and then you have well, something happens and you have the Upanishads, right? And suddenly it's not about the gods at all. And to the extent that it is, they're just like a pass through or a metaphor for that which is that you are. Uh, and, and at least for the Brahmins, and, and that's an interesting point to note, that wasn't the popular religion because most people couldn't read. But for the Brahmins, reading the Upanishads, that was Hinduism. And that's all it was, right? It was like a, a leaving of this old nature-based tradition into this purely philosophical, paradoxical non-dualism. And then out of that, you have the Bhagavad Gita uh, coming along and telling a story about it. And then you know, more epics are produced and more epics are produced and the story gains, people just add and add and add and add and add and add and add to the story to the point that they don't, 
people don't even talk about what the story was originally about. And at the beginning, clearly about. Like, it, it, they weren't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. It's just that when you start telling a story, that's what's going to spread. It, uh, it reminds me of the principle of um, memes, uh, like the way Richard Dawkins talks about memes, not internet memes, though those are an example of the same process. But this idea that ideas sp spread virally, right? And if you take that further and you look at what ideas spread virally, well, the ideas that spread virally are the ones that are most easily spread, right? And so to, to tell a story is very easy, to tell a story about gods and we worship this god and you'll get boons and you'll go to heaven and whatever. It's a very easy, easy story um, to tell. And you can see it in the West too. Even, even though, you know, let's take Catholicism is is a story that has already been taken too literally, no doubt, uh, and turned into this whole system and whatever, it still has all this philosophy in it, right? It's got your, your uh, St. Thomas Aquinas and your St. Augustine and, and your different traditions of, of thinkers and who are thinking about what is God and, and how to relate to them. And, and some of them, Meister Eckhart, you know, end up right back in the same territory of non-dualism. Then it comes to America, it establishes itself, then you have branches off of that of Protestantism, then you have branches of the Protestantism, and what are we left with now in evangelical Christianity? That's the most popular kind of Christianity in America, and what is it? It's almost nothing. It's literally just ask to be saved and you'll be saved. That's all. And you see it in Buddhism too, right? Amitabha Buddha. <laughs> Just call out for Amitabha Buddha and Amitabha Buddha will come and save you and you'll go live in Buddha heaven. <laughs> it's such an easy story. Um, I, I, I guess the point that I'm getting at there is, you know, that which spreads easily is that which spreads. And so it makes total sense to me that India would be going through the exact same thing and that you could think of popular religion in India the same way that you think of popular religion anywhere else in the world. It's that which has spread and that which does spread. Well, now, in your studies, uh, academic and university, did you get into the whole, something I haven't thought about carefully for a while or, or, uh, seri or you know, any specificity, but the, ax you know, Carl Jasper's, the axial era, the axial period? Right. The, this is like 500 BC when, when, yeah, like it's 800 to 300 yeah. BC. Uh, the uh, a what remarkable was going on? <laughs> something was going on. There was a shift of consciousness. Lao Tzu, Confucius, the Buddha. Uh, there was a there was a shift, in a, a simultaneity in a kind of religious consciousness. A shift in the religious paradigm, I guess you could say. Right. I'm oh, so no. curious about about how that happened. And why why it coincided the way it did? You know, may, maybe it maybe it has to do with something about the development of agriculture, and people had been able to sit around and and think for just long enough to come to some really good stuff. <laughs> it's very interesting. We're we're still talking about those same ideas today from just a few people, <laughs> just a few people. I haven't arrived anywhere. Right. <laughs> there's, anyway. there's also been some thinking, I haven't heard about it for a while, but there are a couple of philosophers out there sort of popularizing the idea of a second axial period that mm -hmm. we are in potentially. Of course, there's always the desire, oh, it's such a great idea. 
maybe we're in the second axial period. But some of the, uh, the characteristics of it would be the new age the, uh, the, as a form of religious practice and the human potential experiential emphasis. If, for example, on dating sites, this would be a very mundane example, but when you're filling out your dating profile on match.com, are you religious or are you spiritual? but not religious, right? I mean, spiritual but not religious is actually the fastest growing uh, category along with a certain kind of atheism. But anyway, the, I think it might be argued that we're entering a second act, we're in a second axial period where actually despite the fact that the new age experientialism seems to be at odds with Christian fundamentalism, well, what is one thing that they have in common? the deeply powerful emphasis on direct experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've ever been to an evangelical church that uh, formed because mainstream Protestantism had become so incredibly dry and desiccated. So if you could have an experience with Jesus, or you could go to Esalen Institute on the Big Sur coast and have an experiential humanistic psychology weekend, which would feel religious. So anyway, is, is, is that one of the, the traits now of a kind of new, new religious sensibility, despite the fact that the tenets are different? There's a hunger for direct lived experiential contact with the divine. I, yeah, I, I would, you know, you guys make me feel like it's a new axial age. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say that. It, it's amazing to be able to even uh, hear these ideas and see them pop up again and again in in unexpected places. Uh, you know, I've told Especially that it's here, times. right? Right. Yeah, seeming, <laughs> seeming, because it's not an axial age then or now, because that's making it special, except right. that which recognizes no, no difference, not special, can't have a dreaming of like, wow, that's getting really special. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not? You know, the experience, right? Yeah. But the, the, the basis of like, oh, the world should go through it or something. Yeah. is what, what has been driving history and religions all along. Oh, it's, it should, it's going to end, it's going to be good, it's going to be bad, right? So that pendulum right. swinging, it might be kind of a special axial two-age to like, okay, we're, we're tired of the pendulum swinging. <laughs> yeah. You know, exp uh, religious experience, felt experience versus psychological mental understanding versus, you know, uh, whatever, right? It's, yes. Yeah. Uh, each one seems like it's not the pendulum swinging, but it obviously has been for that I mean, which has just, eyes to see. You know, right, which it's is which like, lens you're not. looking at. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, through, through that lens, I mean, or maybe through a, a different but similar time-based lens, it, it's funny to, to hold both ideas in your mind at the same time of the axial age and the coming dystopia. It almost seems undeniable, right, that we're dropping into a... a, a, a kind of darkness that we couldn't have even predicted, you know what I mean, with, with I mean, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be a bummer and go into, you know, all this stuff, but war and surveillance states and fascism and, and uh, education kind of crumbling and, and social divisions on the rise and whatever. In other ways, it feels like the end of the world. And then in, in some ways it feels like uh, a new axial age, you know, it feels like people kind of, and maybe that, Maybe that makes sense. I mean, this is just a story, but something that I've been, I, well, I'll tell you my own feeling, which is that 
it has certainly felt like the end of the world for a while. I read a really good quote recently um, from someone who's, I think it might have been Neil Gaiman or something, who, who said, the, um, someone asked him if the world was ending, and he was like, the world's been ending for 100 years. <laughs> and that really did shift my mindset. I was like, I'm worried about the end of the world, or I'm like, oh, the world's about to end. No, no, no. It's happening. You're there. We're there. What are you going to do about it? Like, and how can you even deny that, even if you want to take a scientific or fact-based approach, like the world is ending in a lot of different ways and for a lot of different people. Um, and simultaneously, technology is, is ramping up and up and up and up and up and up all the time. Um, I, I, I think I've only mentioned once in a meeting, but I work in cryptocurrency, and it's like rabbit holes and rabbit holes and rabbit holes and rabbit holes. Uh, it, it, the, the pace of innovation and the things that it's allowing for and the what I can see coming down the pipeline are mind blowing. Like there's no way to predict what that is actually going to look like. And then you combine that with VR, you combine that with everything else that the internet has brought about. You combine that with, you know, augmented reality. Uh, Elon Musk is working on a, on a thing to plug directly into your brain. So what does it mean to be human then? What does it mean to be an observer then? What does uh, awareness <laughs> mean in the, in this new world? And to, to wrap this up, I guess my sense has been things are just getting crazier and crazier and in some ways darker and darker and definitely more complex. And what it feels like to me is like samsara making itself known, to borrow that word. You know what I mean? Like it, you don't have the luxury of thinking, I'm a simple man in a simple house with my simple farm and the world is a certain way. We are seeing the irrationality of it all. We are seeing the, the fact that the things that we thought were rules aren't rules. We are seeing the whole thing kind of split and break down and go a million different direction, new levels of reality and virtual reality imposed on this one. And I think, again, I can only speak for myself, but maybe for others too, that is prompting a, um, a reflection backwards. It, it, it's saying, oh wait, if, if there's no definitions here and we can iterate on reality and you can have realities inside realities going this way then what about this way and which one are we in what, what does that mean right uh you know talking about it's like how you started with how you started <laughs> with saying yes to the darkness the idea that we should know as opposed to being comfortable with don't know mind we're getting hit with more and more of like well how are we going to figure this out how are we going to fix this how are we going to define this just right. know, it's just like a lot of darkness coming our way. <laughs> it, it, it's getting really intense. And maybe all I'm trying to say is that the intensity is causing people to stop and say, wait, what is going on? <laughs> it's kind of like you and I talked about, Nick, uh, at the height of, um, you know, uh, drug-fueled ecstasy, right? Like joy, um, uh, sometimes turning the volume up makes you um, hear that there's a speaker for the first time, right? Mm. When it starts to yeah. crackle and pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you guys feel that way too, but. Um. Bro, that was a beautiful stream of consciousness right there. I was with <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank you for that ride. I was thinking, so all sorts of shit popped up, but I, I, as you were talking about the where is this going, again and again, I was thinking back to uh, Rogan. Joe Rogan always talks about, um, and this is, didn't come from him, but he's popularized it. The idea of 
humans are a stage that possible artificial intelligence that we're the sex organs of artificial intelligence we're creating oh. yeah it's some trippy shit right <laughs> uh, sorry if you're listening to this and you're on drugs right now but turn it off but yeah you know that we're a transitional stage in that um we're create we could create an artificial intelligence that could you know the very quick simplified scientific version is to see how uh inefficient we are and you know wipe us out or whatever the hell is going on and i i, I heard that you know framing from from Rogan five, six years ago, and I can't help but see all progress, at least put on those glasses as looking at, you know, all, all progress is pointing in that direction. And bring, going back to Elon Musk, who was on Rogan yesterday, talking about Neuralink and stuff, um, he goes, he, so he just had a kid, and so he's seeing parallels between Neuralink trying to create artificial intelligence that mimics a human mind and human intelligence, but it's gonna amplify it, you know, times a million. And he goes, it's like you, you don't, you don't model, model it on the brain in the same way a plane isn't modeled on a bird. It is to a point, but it doesn't flap its wings. It has jet you know, propulsion and all these more efficient ways of uh, accomplishing flight, which Mother Nature had a version of doing that. And human engineering and technology had a version of doing that. And it, can, and it can be put on steroids to the point of being a jet and fly way faster than any bird could ever dream of. So that metaphor in the in the form of intelligence or consciousness and now i'm you know i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that would say no you can't create artificial consciousness well how the fuck do we know we you know from the point of view of before jets were invented you know we thought flight had to be done in the form of a bird flapping its wings so again mm -hmm. going in not to freak anybody out but going into that dark alleyway of you don't see what's at the end of that tunnel at the end of this progress and you can take a million examples, cryptocurrency, artificial intelligence, uh, you know, go down the line. Uh, it's, it's all very interesting. I, I, I think the other thing that um, I've gotten, uh, I want to be careful about the language whenever I say I've got anything, right? But <laughs> that, I, that I felt lately related to non-duality is, um, uh, and, and related to what we're talking about is, the, the darkness of it, like the, when you look at it, reality, and you see how, let, let's use the word corrupted, certain parts are and, and tragic, um, certain parts are, um, coming from a standpoint of this is all arising and it's the mini jeweled net, uh, to borrow another Buddhist metaphor, um, gives you a lot of strength to just watch it unfold in almost this comic, uh, you know, it's, it still has all the sadness, it still has all the corruption, the danger that you thought was there might still be there to somebody. <laughs> but, but, but as the observer, you can kind of watch it without being so engrossed. Um, and it gives you a lot of power over that, uh, you know, situations that otherwise might be really hard to deal with. Or... Well, and it brings me right back to, again, the idea of the world ending, right? That the world's been ending for a hundred years. I can't help but draw the parallel to all of our worlds are ending. We're going to die. Right. You know, right. It, we, we brought that up last podcast, whether it's a minute from now or a hundred years from now, the world is going to end for us seemingly, you know? Um, right. and, and so the only thing we really have is, I don't know. I don't know when it's going to end. 
I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know what, I don't even know this moment. Where the hell are these words coming from? Right. I didn't write this ahead of time and plan it out. It's, it's all, it's (laughs) it's all, uh, it's all improv forever. So getting back to you saying the kind of the absurdity or the humor in it, there's also a, there's the only piece, you know, that I've reliably been able to find is the piece of, I don't know. And, Mm -hmm. and the fact is it could be, it could be hell on earth waiting around the corner. Or it could be heaven on earth waiting around the corner. I don't know. So I rest right. here and see, see what, what's the next line of jazz that's going to be played. And actually, when you started to say the word, the first thing my mind uh, invented for the first time was calm. It. Not oh. calm. But then you said comic, right? Like funny. <laughs> Calming. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. Heard, I, actually, I actually had the experience of comic. Not that I've ever had it before. That's and you guys have Mike just, And you guys have just been riffing on that, you know, resting and, yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's another way of saying yes, too, right? I mean, when, when, when you're in that state and you're just kind of like being the observer and you're like, well, this is a shit show. <laughs> well, this is getting really intense now, right? But view, viewing it as something that's going to end anyway, you know, it, and it, it's going to end in a good way or a bad way, or it's going to be rough, you know, but that's kind of the, the end result is the same. So why not kind of watch it unfold and, and, and see what the end of the world looks like, um, you know, and help, help where you can, but not be too concerned that um, the, the only situation that is, is the only situation that is. I was out, I was out yesterday on a run and I had this, uh, really trippy um, kind of stream of consciousness by myself, looking at the number of people wearing masks out on their walks. So there was the fact that the walks look beatific, they look wonderful, but their faces were masked. And I just had this chill. I thought, okay, this is like, this is like uh, Leonard Cohen uh, lyrics. Yeah. Okay, so, so I began, and then I had this thought, I said, I think I have not heard anybody say, why am I the first person who's thinking this? And what, and the, and the, what I was thinking was that this is, maybe I'm not, but I'm the first person I know who's thought that, that in addition to the fact that everybody agrees this is a surreal period, you know, the surrealism of being in our home. Well, I thought, what is this like? But the experience everybody I know has been looking for for the past 10 years, everybody wants to experience the Aboriginal dream time. Right? They want to go to a workshop in Australia, or they want to go to a workshop in New Guinea, or they want to work with a shaman. Well, hey, folks, here we are. This is the Aboriginal dream time. People are wearing masks while they're out on their fitness walks. And so I began to, I came home last night. I found myself going to YouTube. I said, I want to just go to certain songs that speak to apocalypse. And so here's what, I mean, you know, speaking of Leonard Cohen, his lyrics in the song, The Future, things are going to slide, slide in all directions, won't be nothing, nothing you can't measure anymore. This blizzard, the blizzard of the world has crossed the threshold and it's overturned the order of the soul. I mean, there's, you know, of course, he can really deliver that beautifully, but there's something about the, the best apocalyptic music that is kind of speaking to this time we're in right now. Whether it is the end or the beginning, it's really, we're, we're closer to 
you know, even Charles Dickens with his famous phrase, Tale of Two Cities, he begins the book, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Of course, that's always true. Right. But a time like this, a time like this, with, again, the people on the streets with the mask, and some people are shaking, put on your mask, put on your mask. And I thought, this is the kind of stuff Orwell wrote about. It's the kind of thing the talking heads have written about. This ain't no party. This ain't no disco. This ain't no fooling around. Uh, anyway, do you know what I mean? Do, do you find yourself I, listening to music with this in mind right now? Okay, we're going to have to get kicked I out again. Okay. Are you guys out for another, another round? I know I am. Yeah, I, yeah I think we got a few more things to say. Okay, okay. on that last on that last bit, come back with cool. your music, Larry. We'll jump yeah. right back on. Okay, Oops. we're sure. back from our non-commercial commercial break. Um, uh, does anybody? Does anybody oh, keep this here. What is recording? Okay. Oh. I'll be honest with you, Keith. To your question about music, um, lately. <laughs> because I've just been sitting outside in the sunshine. I've been listening to like really weird experimental <laughs> atmospheric music and just like sitting there not thinking. So there haven't been a lot of lyrics um, going on lately. But I did think while you were talking that uh, I think a, a quote, a quote that well uh, wraps up the ages by the great philosopher, um, I believe his name was William Wonka. Uh, faster and faster the rowers are rowing, <laughs> never knowing which way they are going. And there doesn't seem to be any sign that they are slowing. <laughs> and then they all start screaming for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most be beautiful moments in uh, film history, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was thinking, Keith, again, in, in the spirit of that, that end of the world, um, it's not a song, but uh, I got to give a free shout out advertisement for one of my all time favorite podcasters, probably one of my bigger influences, Duncan Trussell. Have you guys seen his show on Netflix, Midnight Gospel? I haven't. Okay. You mentioned it before, I'll, and I, I definitely will follow up. I'll text it to you guys. So he has taken podcast conversations and he has this incredible animator, a team of animators that do cartoon animations over his podcast. And the sort of theme of every episode is it's an apocalypse that's happening uh -huh. in, some, in some other dimension. So he, he lives on some planet, you know, out in the middle of nowhere in the, in the universe. He finds people to do a podcast with. He goes into his uh, universe simulator, which looks like a giant vagina. He sticks his head in there and gets shot into a world that's basically in the middle of an apocalypse. And he does an interview with a guest during the apocalypse. So it's this really, and he, he planned all this before the pandemic. He's just one of those guys that was obsessed with the end of the world kind of idea. And he's super into Buddhism and meditation and the Upanishads. He's, he's one of my bigger influences. And I found him early on. This is many years before Paul or, or uh, anybody. Um, so I would highly recommend the show, but it's just incredibly timely that you get to go through this little 25 minute um, uh, journey of the end of a world. And he has conversations with the one, the one that I would most recommend is the third episode. He has a conversation with somebody who was falsely put in prison um, on 
basically bad evidence. I think he was in prison for 20 years. I could get it wrong. Um, uh, but he, he got released eventually because, you know, DNA evidence. So he spent 20 years in prison and he studied magic and world religions and all this stuff. So they're having a conversation while the cartoon characters are watching the apocalypse happen in this little universe. It's completely psychedelic, but I actually haven't watched any of them. Uh, it sounds yet. awesome. I am definitely it, it, going to look into that now. It's amazing and very timely. And a theme that's been coming up for me again and again uh, in art is that idea of the end of the world being a metaphor for the end of our world, for death. And uh, Paul's meetings are that for me a lot. I leave every one of Paul's meetings feeling like I'm either dead or gonna die. Uh, and there's, in a weird way, some sort of like comfort in it. Like, like okay, I'm not as afraid of death now because I keep dying again and again, seemingly, and then I'm still here and I handled it. I handled the unbearable of you know my own disappearance, which I can't right. experience. So that was my little stream that just came through. You overcame death. Yeah, <laughs> and which brings you right back again, to this last, this last Saturday's uh, Paul meeting was fucking beautiful. Um, and one of the things that stuck with me, because death was a big theme, fear of death, uh, was the idea that if you fear death, you're, all you're doing is not living. Giving life to that. You're giving, yeah, <laughs> you're giving life to the fear of death instead of being available to live. And that was such a huge, just like, it, that's been a theme over this last week since the last thought song of where am I giving life to fears of death? And how is that robbing me from being available for my, for my daughters, being available for my coworkers, being available for this? How, how that yeah. en energy seemingly is siphoned away for this fear of this thing I have nothing, I have no control over. And, you right. know, this, this fiction of the end of, of, either the world or the end of my world. Um, so it's cool that we've been dancing around this and, uh, and it's all been kind of amplified and on steroids because of the pandemic, you know? I think that's what Absolutely. Jesus meant by that he overcame death and you can believe him. Yeah. Because if you have confidence that something overcame death, then in that instant, you, you have no worry of death. Yeah. <laughs> that's what overcoming death is. Yeah. yeah. And it, it seems to me to be in the same theme of that, the end of that dark tunnel and the unknowing, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Also related or a related theme is, you know, the question of what dies, who dies? Because one, one thing that has shifted for me through non-duality is shifting. It's, it's, it's just a shift. It's, it's just not a axial shift, but it's a, is an awareness that um, if this action figure, this body is not generating awareness, it's a pass-through, it's a flow-through for awareness. And, and I, when I say, if that's so, I've had, whether through, you know, we've all had experiences in, uh, through psychedelics, through my description of when I was on the rooftop as a kid, looking into the sky, a sense of space, a sense of a presence that when, you, when, it, when you're aware of it, you realize it's actually prior to everything else. That, that whole language of prior, mm -hmm. it's one thing to say that, then you realize, well, the very fact that I'm seeing you guys on the screen right now, or I'm hearing my voice or your voice, what is prior to these appearances that in which this space is appearing? And then you read in, in, in uh, writings like the Upanishads or the non-dual teachings of Dzogchen or Advaita, never born, never died, 
the indestructible. Well, what is that? What is that which is indestructible? What, what is unborn? You know, the Buddha has been called the uncola, the unborn, the unlimited, the unbounded. He had so many ways of saying, of describing the, that which is, not, there are no boundaries, there are no limits, it's, it's endless spaciousness, a presence that is primordial. So I guess what I'm getting at is a sense of a kind of comfort in knowing that which, um, when this action figure dies, um, what's never born doesn't die. And if that's my nature, my true nature, well, you see where I'm kind of playing around with. I'm not, not trying to make any definitive assertions here, but if what we are, if our true nature is primordial presence, then, wow, how does that sit? How does that settle in moments of peace? Isn't that what a, most peak experiences are about? In the sense of, this is a bigger game. <laughs> this is a bigger game. Anyway. Yeah, it reminds me of when Paul talks about, you know, he's, he says he's died four or five times or something like that. Basically, his heart stopped beating. He's, he's died. He goes, you know, I've died. He says, says it in passing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what he always says, which in that, in that theme of what we talk about again and again, and it's not new information, it's, it's ringing true, a remembering of something that, that uh, rings true, is he goes, that that place has nothing to do with this place, right? The, the, at, at, at the moment of death or whatever, it's like waking up from a dream and instantly you see, no matter how intense the dream was, it was just a dream and it takes no time whatsoever to wake up from it. And, and that, there, there's a weird, you could very easily, if what you're not claims that story, it can freak out about it. And I've seen it happen over here a lot, but there's another place to stand uh, from the dreaming of the dreaming to go, yeah, when the dream ends, it, it, none of it ever happened. And none of it ever happened here either. All of that existed inside of time and I'm that which is timeless. We had that good little talk where it's, it would be like watching TV and we have all these channels that we can change between and to be upset that we have to change the channel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all you do is start watching another program. <laughs> it's a big deal, right? Yeah. Same awareness. Patrick, you're muted. I don't know it, if you know. It's a it's a, it's a hard thing to well, you know. I guess let's just say you can't can't wrap your mind around it. But um, it, it it it's funny because you you get both effects at once. On the one hand, you're like, well, if I'm not that which dies, then what am I doing worrying about that? But then you're like, but all the things that I can think of that I'm worried about ending are part of that which dies. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah uh, it, it, you 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 can easily get yourself back into the same place um and i think as long as you are looking for to to save something that you're not you're going to end up back in that same place I, I i don't know what do you guys think is is there also an element of acceptance of the end of the limitation um you know, to the extent that you enjoy the limitation, being the limited. Uh, yeah, because observer. acceptance of grief. It's not grief of other people dying or other things. It's actually this whole life that seems to be a life is going to disappear. How much, right. you know, but that kind of, it's kind of a sweet grief to me, just like I'm watching a movie where I don't mind watching 
the character go through its death or deaths, right? You, you go to the movies to watch that. And the movie's gonna end too. And the movie's gonna, movie's end. gonna end. Yeah. So to have this be such a, such a movie, it's, I see that, I see why there's other kinds of grief, but those are hard griefs. Whereas this is kind of, oh, you know, kind of, it's, <laughs> you know, oh, my, this is my you know, movie. Not, oh, it's not, oh, my mom died early and oh, my natal family didn't work out and on and on and on. It's just the whole idea that there's something here that seems to have those stories. Right. So that, and that was still grief. It was so, it'd be walking along and be like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, like, that's something. <laughs> I know one thing that (laughs) one thing that I've reflected on is uh, sort of maybe I don't know how dying will happen for this action figure, how painful it'll be, how lingering it'll be. Could be pretty gnarly. I've been around dying people I care about, and so and and they did not. I don't. It almost never goes the way that they would want it. (laughs) No, and and I think in most cases they didn't have a, a sense of confidence in the other side or what. And for me, and so that's the part that I actually. Maybe to say I have confidence would not would not be quite right, but I am aware of a, of a thought that goes like this: I'm not worried about what's afterlife. I really don't fear what's called death, because I have nothing. There's nothing that I can speculate about what that would be, based on what I know here that would make me worried. And and what I'm getting at is, one thing that has never let me down when I'm really clear about this is that in this life, one thing that's never let me down is being. Mm. Being has never let me down, never lets me down. Moments of being, I don't like certain moments of I am, (laughs) but being (laughs) never lets me down. The sense of being uh, a space in which the problem I was having, oh, I'm the space in which that was happening. So I guess what I'm saying is, I don't have any reason to worry about the light shutting off after this body dies. I think being will continue. I, I, actually, I actually would say to the degree that I have my beliefs sorted out, I think consciousness is a fundament. It is a fundamental thing. It's as much fundamental as a, a space and time and gravity. I, I'm not very proficient in scientific language, but so, c- consciousness did not just emerge the capacity for consciousness has emerged as the brain has evolved. Got it. Mm. But consciousness, it's like the television signals. A consciousness, uh, the CBS or CNN don't cease to be, to exist when I turn it off. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So uh, as much as I wish CNN did not exist sometimes, that's a, <laughs> that's a different issue. But I don't work. So anyway, I don't think that, so consciousness, I, I have a belief, consciousness uh, kicked in when this organism was able to experience it. And when this organism is no longer here, consciousness will exist. If anything, I do sometimes think I'm going to be ready. I, my, my, my hope is to be ready for the Bardos. My hope is to be ready for those realms. And when the noise, I, I, you know, the language I hear from the Tibetan book of the dead and similar sources, wait, where am I going? Anyway, uh, oh, no, you're, you're going uh, exactly where I was hoping the, co- the colors are said to be extremely bright. The sound is said to be extremely loud. And the egoic sense of selfing gets very afraid and asks for it to stop. And all of the teachings that I have encountered around dying says, ask for it to be louder and meet it. 
meet the roaring, meet the blinding colors, meet the crushing sensations, open to it, and remember the light. Go toward the light. And don't get sucked back in. And, you know, and when I say don't get sucked back in, I don't have a belief that if I don't identify correctly on the way out, I'm going to be reborn in a low. I don't even think about that. Although I think the odds are that, I, that this consciousness will probably take another body. I guess I probably believe that. Yeah. Anyway, there's a little. I, I lo- that, was, that was the most beautiful description that, that I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like you just took me through that. That was awesome. Well, if I anything about <laughs> if, if anything about what we all know, you know, like be present for life, as 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 opposed as opposed, you know, as if we couldn't be in the moment, you know, as Paul often says, there you cannot not be in the moment, but you cannot be present or whatever. I mean, you can be more present, right? We all know what that means. Yeah, but kind well, of be present be for noticing what's scary. yourself being present, right? Or yeah, the scary moments. You be else. present. Be present for the fear. Well, if that is true, that being present, like as a, be- a better than not being not present, why would that shut off at death? Like, why would I? In other words, I hope at the moment of what, however, morphined I may be up, or morphined up I may be, I hope that I can have the wherewithal simply because I think it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the most amazing possible trip of all. The dying thing, the transition thing to whatever. And if the lights go out, how will that, how will I be, like, if there really is, if the atheists, the, if the darkest atheist existentialist view is right, and the lights just go off, well, who or what is there to experience the lights being off? Why is that a problem? Yep, why is any, why are any of the game conditions in this thing, how could they be wrong? There's nothing about, okay, I, I make life wrong all the time. I wish this weren't happening. I wish the red light hadn't just turned. That's that level. But I ultimately line up with the great non-dualists and uh, Byron Katie. There couldn't be anything wrong with what is because it's what is. How could what is, how could reality be wrong? I mean, I like it. That's a distinction that a fake self thought has just invented. But even that's right. That's perfect. Oh, the thought Keith doesn't like the way things are right now. That's perfect too. So I, I don't know, I kind of think there's nothing about this game that makes me feel that there's going to be a big jip at the end. So, <laughs> so you, you reminded me of two things, Keith. One is we're back to Huang Po because I think I even read Nick this section, or no, I texted it to him. I think when I first started reading, reading it, I texted him this section where uh, the, the student comes to the teacher. I think Huang Po is telling a story about another student teacher, but the student comes to the teacher and he says, you know, how can I realize, you know, true nature of reality and whatever? And he's like, okay, well, so you've studied for years and years, so I want you to get into a state where you're not thinking of good and evil. And, and I kind of interpreted that of, of, of just neutrality, right? A, a state of non-judgment period, right? The, the, the meditative just uh, the good state. <laughs> and while you're in the state, um, think about uh, what you were before you were born. Um, and that was one of those sentences that kept getting me to where I wasn't thinking <laughs> about anything. And then, and then he also says, um, uh, when you go into your point about the bardo, he says, when you die, 
Um, your next birth is going to be determined by your mental state when you die. So what, without knowing anything about this, what sort of mental state do you think that that would be that's going to keep you from being reborn into all, you know, whatever various forms, some of which are very unpleasant, right? What, what is that state that's going to keep you neutral and allow you to remain as awareness uh, when that which anything else is, you know, taken away? Uh, well, what is the reality of the time between now and your death? Be in that state now. Yeah. You're about to die. What's the state you want to be in when you die? Go ahead and just be in that state. Just go ahead and do that. Like, there's no, you don't need a delay. Because <laughs> you can't do anything else. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, man. So so the, the, I thought that was a really nice way to describe, like, the peace. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you the state of mind I want to be in, okay? It's, and I was going to share this earlier. I was, you can hear me, right? Yeah. It's, right? Can you hear me? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. Suddenly I got some uh, dialogue box coming up here. Um, I was going to share this poem. You, you all know Rumi's The Guest House? Yes. I'm going to share it again because I'm going to read this poem because to me, this, this would be a, not a bad place to be, okay? This is, this is how I want to live the rest of my life, and this is, uh, I'm happy to extend this into death. Called The Guest House. This is by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So when I'm at that transition and I'm meeting the bar, I'm in the bardo and meeting all that sound and lighting, I'll say, I want to be open to it. I want, like, I want to be tripping. I want, but yeah, actually tripping isn't the right metaphor because, you know, do a real high dose of LSD. You're not present after a certain point. You're just kind of <laughs> That's waiting. what Aldous Huxley did. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I would just hope to be at the doorway welcoming everything that comes in that I challenge to wel welcome in now. I, I don't welcome depression and sorrow and malice very easily, but I find that when I stop resisting them, when I say I shouldn't be filled with malice, I'm a spiritual person. When I give that one up too, and when I let it all come in, I say, well, I, you know, that's unqualified non-duality. There's nothing you don't say yes to, including no. I don't say no, no, maybe you can't, but I'll say yes to the no. I don't know. That's kind of how I'd like to go out. It's just like, yeah, whatever's happening here. I can't imagine that there's a bad set up here the only thing i can i don't want to be among those who just as i in life i would like to be at the guest house welcoming everything i don't want to be because the opposite of that is to say no no i don't want this i don't like that i as byron katie says you know byron katie has a little exercise she recommends she says try out this go go through the day and use the following phrase i object to blank because of blank Okay, now fill in the blanks with whatever you're, I object to George 
because he insulted me. Okay, so now in, in, the, in this moment, which is complete, whole, absolute what it is, everything is perfect except George hasn't apologized to me, or he insulted me. So I object to the weather because there was going to be a picnic. It doesn't mean that you can't have the objection because that would be saying no to the objection. But ultimately, anything I'm objecting to is something I'm not willing to allow in. It's, an, it's a duality that I'm saying, okay, I'm for non-duality. As, as as I had an experience a while back where I thought, it's, my frame for it is one plus one. And, and what, what, what it is, one plus one is, I believe in the one. I believe everything is one, right? I mean, in other words, it's not two things, except the other one, which is objecting to something, <laughs> the, the one called Keith. So I'm, I'm in a non-dual space, except for ah, the weather, you know, like my Larry David, <laughs> ah, the weather, I don't know. It shouldn't be this way. It should be that way. So it's one plus one. The one is beautiful, complete and perfect, except for the one thing that isn't shit the way it should be. And that's the Keith view. Keith is active again. So that's one plus one, just let it be one. Yeah, why wouldn't it object? Because as soon as it stops objecting, it doesn't have its life anymore. Yeah, exactly. that's <laughs> so, the only So why wouldn't that, which thinking it's not the objector, keep objecting in that ignorance? Just it'd be, yeah, yeah, sure, I get it. <laughs> Freak, freaking beautiful, all you guys, Keith. Freaking beautiful. Three things came up uh, as you were saying it. Uh, one, I think I said on the last podcast, Patrick, but it fits in so nicely. I only heard Paul say it once that I remember, but I freaking loved it. That you trying to get into the moment is trying to fit two different things into one. Right. Two plus the moment, right? When you see the insanity of that, you realize you can't get out of the moment. And then you're you're in line at Trader Joe's, just this, <laughs> right? Right. And the other thing that came in for me was, I coming from a cult, I very intimately right now see how cults start because by the time you were done with that roomy poem, I was ready to die. <laughs> like I was yeah, like, oh okay. shit, I see it. You know, I, this is the place that that I want to be. And so thank you, Keith, for not taking advantage of me and <laughs> joining me. <laughs> I didn't offer you Kool-Aid. Here's the Kool-Aid. Here's the Kool-Aid. <laughs> oh, man, it is just, it's just wonderful. Um, the, the, there's a story that you reminded me of in the very beginning when we were talking, Keith, when you were talking about being a Trader Joe's and you just have a moment and you want to say something to the cashier. And of course, most of us never say those things, right? But sometimes, um, I, I, and I don't think I'm skilled enough to usually be the one, but when other people are super authentic about our meeting and the moment and what's happening right now, or they just say something that's true in like the most basic way, those interactions uh, stand out to me. I'm, th I'm thinking of a specific one. Again, like the skateboarding story, pretty boring. But I was, in, I was in like a hardware store in Estes Park, Colorado, and I was checking out and making small talk with the woman, not really there, not present, quote unquote, myself, you know, just paying the money. But she was present. I didn't even notice at first, right? But, but she was very much there and she was engaging me, even though I was just a random customer coming through the hardware store. And um, I was like, she was like, how are you doing? And I was like, great. It's a, it's a 
it's a really nice day out there. And she's like, well, they're all nice, aren't they? And just looked at me and I was like, <laughs> Paul, what are you doing here? <laughs> when you put it that way. <laughs> and like, suddenly I'm like in a space with this woman, like in the most mundane of circumstances, her saying that and me seeing the truth. In, yeah. I think she, I think the actual term was like, yeah, it, 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 our, oh no, I asked her, sorry to change the story. I asked her, are you having a good day? And that was her answer is, they're all good days, aren't they? When you really get down to it. And I was like, I can't really argue with that. <laughs> but, but let me think about it. <laughs> For the rest of the day, I'm just like present just because this random, she must've been 70 years old. So, uh, you know, sometimes you got to say it to the Trader Joe's, uh, Trader Joe's person. And it reminded me, you brought it back up in my mind because that's the saying yes, right? That's, that's what I got out of it. That's what stopped me in the tracks in that interaction is what I heard when she said, they're all good days, aren't they? When you really get down to it, aren't they all good days? Was like, they are, if you're there for them, I, I guess. And I don't know, you know, why I make it so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I got to throw this out there as a guy who um, I never really sit down and listen to a podcast. I'm always doing something. So I'm either driving or I am many times at Trader Joe's at Costco with my headphones in. So I'm speaking to you, person out there in line at Trader Joe's or Costco with the headphones mm. in. And yes, we're talking to you. Do it. Say the thing. Right now. I know that. <laughs> Because I know if you're in any kind of a place that I am after this conversation, which is freaking amazing, say the thing or don't say the thing. But uh, I just got to throw that out there. I like messing with the uh, the the imaginary listener. <laughs> I, so I think we're all so afraid to be taken as weirdos, but but the truth is that we're all having this crazy experience that we try really hard to cover up as an and 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 convince ourselves it's not crazy but everyone else is going through it too you know everyone else is here experiencing colors and time and space and and whatever and they may be in uh, a habitual loop that makes that totally non-special but sometimes it really just takes someone just pointing out the most basic here now um sort of thing to 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 snap you out of it you know yeah that's the thing i can't think of the poem but it's something along the lines of when you shine when you allow your light to shine, you un unintentionally or unconsciously allow others to shine their light too. So we're all, yeah. if we're all sitting around, you know, we know whether we're in a great state or a terrible state, but if we're covering that up and not sharing with the world, that's where everybody feels alone. And here I am again, I do it every episode. The point of this podcast, just like the podcast that I love is helping people feel less, less alone. You know, you're here yeah. with us and, and, yeah, you're not crazy, or as Keith told me the other day, you are crazy, but, uh, you know, uh, accept it, and, uh, and thank you for going on this journey with us, listener. This was really fun. Okay. One phrase I have re revisited in the sort of course of thinking about all these kind of things is the phrase that is usually an, an insult. You know the phrase, when you look at somebody and roll your eyes, and, and then you, I mean, like, Nick, I'm talking to you about a friend, and I said, oh, boy, lights on, nobody home. <laughs> so, you know, that's an insult, right? But increasingly, I say, lights on, 
Nobody home? That's the place to be. Be lit up. No, and because you're, you can be lit up because there's nobody home. If there is nobody home, the lights are always on. What's the main thing that dims the light? Keith, Nick, yes. Yes. Patrick, Mike. We, we all get in the way or we try to turn our light up or we try not to obscure our light, blah, blah, blah. The light is on. But if I'm home, I'm dimming it probably. I'm asking for a t whatever. Lights on, nobody home. That'd be a great book. Someone should write a book about that as a good, as the state to be in. <laughs> Or even we're trying to show people uh, our light, right? Like we're like, hey guys, check it out. I got a light, like check out my light. And it's really, yeah. like you said, that's, that's the obscuring. Because when you actually look outside yourself, you think no one's gonna see your light if you don't, if you don't um, like translate it for them or whatever. But when you actually look at other people, is that your experience? Do you see the light in the people who are trying really hard to show you what they are? Or do you see, the light in people who aren't trying to show you what they are? Do you see the light in the people who are actually just present um, without expectations? And at least for myself, that, that has been true. Like you pick up on that immediately and the other person didn't have to say anything. And the fact that they didn't is almost the thing that you were like, oh, oh you're actually, you're not doing the play right now. You're actually just here. Yeah, it's like when Paul, the part of the message, um, the, Paul, the, the, the message um, is when Paul will say, uh, when you've got, the, when you've got the, the horse in front of the cart, you know, when you just got, when you've got it in the right relationship, your attention and interest can go someplace else. They're free to go to someplace other than self. When the cart when the horse is in front of the cart so uh that the experience and, and and he he uses the phrase and i use this phrase sometimes too when i am most where when the cart when when the horse is in front of the cart for this action figure another way to talk about that experience of traveling lighter that results from the horse being in front of the cart is there's availability and I might say, I'm available. People say, I almost sometimes say to people, they'll say, how you doing, Keith? I say, I'm available. I don't say that because they didn't have no, but that's actually right. I almost want to say I'm available. And they'd say, for what? I say, for this light to, yeah. for, for life. I mean, I'm, I, well, aren't you? I, I mean, and I don't say it, but, I, but I'm sometimes aware. I go, I'm, I'm freaking available in a way that I wasn't <laughs> when, when, and I, by the way, I have my moments of terrible selfing and et cetera, et cetera. So, but I, I, but still, even then I recognize those. I go, oh, it's much faster on the uptake. Oh, there's that again. There's a selfing moment. And that's more like the exception increasing. Like, oh, that's the thing that has to be explained. That's the anomaly. The selfing thing is no longer my home base. Hmm. Being available is more often who I really am. Okay, great. Keith, I'm tripping like out on on, on recontextualizing, I never thought of it this way till you just said it. Uh, when I, whenever I text you, we're planning a phone call. I always ask, "Are you available?" Are you available? <laughs> yeah. phone call. And and the, and the thing is, is you are in in both ways. You're you you. I, I feel incredibly blessed. I say this again and again that on the other side of my phone, I have better than I ever could have dreamed. All the shit that that I'm interested in 
wisdom, you know, camaraderie, all the cool stuff that, that all of our phone calls are. And um, it's because of that availability. It's because no one's home that the lights are on uh, and, and those calls are allowed to be what they are. And, I, and again, I, I can't help but do it again and again. I feel like a piece of that was captured in this podcast, which is so beautiful. And I'm so glad we get to share with the listener, you know, that, that availability of, of that jazz being played in the way that it was, you know, um, I, I do this again and again. I did this. It was funny when I talked with you, Patrick, uh, we were about halfway through our phone call. Um, and I did this thing of like, you know what I'm talking about already, where I was like, dude, I'm just so, it's so cool to be able to have somebody to laugh about Huang Po. I feel like you're the only person in the world that I could do this with, yada, yada, yada. And you go, are you wrapping up the phone call? And I was like, no, sorry, I just do that thing. And I'm trying to invent a word for it, but it's like being nostalgic for something as it's happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like looking back fondly on something as it's happening. And it it's was captured. premature evacuation. <laughs> there, there it is. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So I had the perfect, the perfect illustration of it. You guys, none of you guys have young kids, so you probably haven't seen these movies, but I've seen them a lot. The Kung Fu Panda movies. Have you guys seen them? Have you heard of them? I've seen what? I, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Kung Fu Panda. It's, uh, it's No, I haven't. Like, I love it, but I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, I would highly recommend them, all three of them. The, whoever wrote it has a background in some sort of Zen or Eastern philosophy because it's very snuck in there in, in not your typical way, in these really cool ways. So, uh, But this is one example. Yesterday, I, I was watching it with my kids, and there's a scene where Poe, Poe is the main character who's a panda. He's, his vo he's voiced by Jack Black. Um, his story is, oh God, we have two minutes. Okay, can we jump out, jump right back in one more time and we'll, we'll wrap this up. This will be the fourth act. Or the, okay. Uh, okay. Back in the way. Okay. Hoang po, uh, no, not Hoang Po. Po. Oh, that's funny. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> so Po, the character from, oh, wow. uh, from Kung Fu Panda, um, he, was, uh, he was raised by a, his his adopted dad who is a goose. So he's a panda raised by a goose. And they don't really address it at first. And his dad, his call, his dad's calling, the goose was to be a, a chef. And he wants his son, his adopted son, Poe, to also be a chef. And he, uh, he kind of tries to fake it at first, but that's not his calling. He loves Kung Fu is his thing. And so he looks up to the furious five, who are these five other animals that are the masters of the Kung Fu world. So he has all the action figures and that's his thing. That's his jam is Kung Fu, but he doesn't get to do it because his dad wants him to be a cook. So um, by some weird circumstances, he ends up being the chosen one. He kind of stumbled onto being the chosen one and is uh, the dragon warrior, who's the guy who's going to defeat all the evil of the land. And he's kind of like, he's out of shape and he, you know, how the hell am I the dragon warrior? And so anyway, turns out that he finds his truth and the answer to this, the secret of what it means to be the dragon warrior is nothing. So uh, he finally gets the scroll that has the answer of what it, what it takes to be the dragon warrior and it's blank. Yeah. <laughs> and so he goes to his dad and he goes, you know, his dad's famous for his soup. And he says, uh, he says, dad, what's the secret ingredient? You know, I'm, 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 I know I'm supposed to be the dragon warrior, and uh, I, don't, I don't know what the secret is. What do I do? Um, 
help me, help me out. Tell me the secret ingredient to your soup. And his dad goes, well, the secret ingredient is nothing. I don't add anything. It's the belief that the soup is something special is what makes it special. So he finds, you know, in himself, the dragon warrior it was there the whole time. And so this is the first one. Now we're going to jump to the second one, which is the parallel to this podcast. So now Poe used to, you know, be an outsider and now he's in the world. He's with his heroes fighting Kung Fu. So there's this cool thing of in every battle, he's punching and kicking with all of his, the, the other, his heroes, but he keeps going like, this is so awesome. You can't get over how cool it is that he's fighting Kung Fu, that he's living his dream. Everyone else is taking it very serious and fighting and, and he's fighting too, but he just keeps referring back to how awesome it is that he gets to fight with his heroes, with the, the, the heroes. So there's the scene in the second one where uh, not only are his heroes there, but some other heroes that had retired come back and it's coming up to the epic battle and they all jump in the air and there's 10 of them flying through the air in slow motion. And, and they're all have their serious look on their face. They're getting ready to fight the final battle. And Poe looks to his left and looks to his right and in slow motion goes, I love you guys. And then they fight and they win at the end. So that, at that moment, I go, that's me on this podcast. I get, <laughs> I get to do what I've always wanted to do with you guys are my heroes. You're all amazing at it, better than I'm, I am at it. So not only do I get to watch it from the outside, which is what I did for years listening to other podcasts, but I get to be in it and be in that slow motion of I love you guys. And I don't know what word to use it beside what word to use for it besides being nostalgic about something as it happens. But it's, <laughs> it's uh, there, there's there's no words. But it's it's cool beyond cool. And there are no uh, no amount of thank yous I can give that would ever measure up to how cool well, this is. Well, same man, you're the one that made it happen. And that that state of gratitude is something that um, I would maybe you can teach me about. Are all that persistent, persistent nostalgic gratitude is uh, I think it's a, a good place to be. <laughs> I've got nothing to do with it. It comes naturally. Oh, hey, close. Uh, does anyone want to add anything before we wrap this up? Well, just to, to that one point, actually, just lately, man, uh, it, it sucks when I can't, like, quote the person I, I think I'm quoting, but because I, I can't remember who said it, but somewhere I heard that every so often you just need to look around and, and think, hey, if this ain't living, I don't know what is. And lately, it's just been happening more and more and maybe that's because you know my life has had good circumstances or or whatever but um the the reflecting on it at least that gratitude uh in the moment and i was kind of i i was probably being a little too forceful we were out at a motorcycle ride my girlfriend and i the other day we were up in the hills we're in sonoma right now it's just absolutely beautiful it could not be more beautiful uh and and we're out on a motorcycle and i you know got this body still you know this is there's plenty of attachment in here but i was like you can't appreciate <laughs> like i'm alive healthy rolling a motorcycle through sonoma and the sun is setting and there's wildflowers everywhere it's like this isn't a memory this isn't a picture this is what what is right in front of us and if this ain't living i don't know what it is and if this podcast ain't living i don't know what it is and uh, yes. it as well. yeah it reminds me paul says uh 
when a miracle happens, uh, honor it. You know, a miracle can happen and, and we can forget it in 20 minutes, but we can hold on to a resentment for 20 years. So he says, when a miracle happens, honor it. So this is my best attempt to honor it. Beautiful. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad for it. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Love you. Thank you. Love you. Let's do it again sometime. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Right on, guys. Yeah, Nick, you, you don't you don't want for reasons to do podcasts. I love that. <laughs> yeah, just do it get do it again sometime. Okay. <laughs> what I love is all these opportunities to talk with you guys, is what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> and that you make you are a facility you are a you're a host. You're you're like a it is you're like a talk show host, and that's a very high compliment in my view. I mean, you remind me of early Dick Cabot. If you don't know who I mean. Look up Dick Cavett in the 1960s show that he did. And, and by the way, look up his interview. Oh, God, I'm really dating myself. Uh, he's still alive, but he's... Anyway, young Dick Cavett, talk show host. Look up his interview with Katherine Hepburn. Okay. I don't know, it just comes to mind. And he was an intellectual, self-effacing, witty uh, talk show host in a almost unique in that regard. You know, there's Carson. I'm one, I'm one out of three of those, I think. <laughs> well, you know, most talk show hosts are, you know, comics like Carson and Letterman and all the Jimmy Fallon. Cabot had a sense of humor, but very intellectual and really interested in ideas. So I, to compare you to the Dick Cabot, to the uh, phase of Dick Cabot's life when he ran a talk show is a high compliment. I'll, I'll go. Uh, I'll go watch the videos so that I can really thank you for. <laughs> oh, yeah, you yeah, you're you're very good at it, and and more importantly, still you do it. Right on. Doing it, because yeah. think about all of the people, better, worse, different, whatever that that uh, have an idea and don't do it. Right? It doesn't go. Yeah, anywhere. and I'm so it thankful for that. Years and years yeah. in time. And I'm so thankful for all the things that fell into place, having this podcast studio, Mike being so um, so willing to have me over and set it up so we finally have some good sound and we can see each other. And I, the, the thing about doing it is I spent three or four years talking about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then it was, you know, that weird thing of once I finally dropped it and I got myself out of the way and I got rid of all the requirements and just started doing it. And it's been cool. It's taken on a life of its own. Well, and you were saying, Nick, that the Fred Davis interview was kind of a breakaway because it was like a level of, of a guest that you sort of excited to have on, sort of a, a luminary. And then you were talking, I won't name any names, but we were talking yesterday about some other guests that you might want to reach out to. So the very fact that you're thinking in those uh, terms is, I like that. I, mean, I, like, I like that you're reaching out into some of the stars that you would like to talk to. Why not? Yeah, yeah why not? Exactly. My man, God, if I were doing a, a, a podcast or a talk show, man, I just have a list of people that I'd yeah. like, famous people I'd love to talk to, you know, yeah. so. That's a whole different podcast, but that, that gets to an, another theme for me for years now of uh, you, you get what you're at, just ask, like, if you, if you ask for something, it's way more likely to happen. It's definitely more likely to happen than if you don't ask for it. And it's probably way more likely to happen than you thought. Uh, so there's probably no one that, you know, wouldn't be down to, to and talk. One about. rule I have reminded myself of during this lockdown when there are so many things that are uh, not allowed. And, and I've been going to parks when they were forbidden. And I've been going out 
they're small, they're small transgressions, but they are, um, they're nevertheless breaking rules, including driving to the parks. You know, you must only, you must be able to walk to the park. You can't drive to a park. Anyway, I was reminded of the old uh, adage, it is better to ask for forgiveness than permission. If you go through life asking for permission, you're basically saying, oh no, thanks for asking. You can't come on the property. But if you come on the property, all they can say is, oh, oh, you got to leave. But you maybe, maybe you got to walk for an hour and they're probably not going to call the cops. So all you can do is be kicked off. But if you ask for permission, can I come on? Most often people are going to say, no, 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 no. And once you've been t- denied access, then you must not dare go on because then you're really breaking the rules. You're, you're reminding me, I feel like, like I snuck on to the podcast scape and nobody caught me. And so. And no one's told you to leave yet. No one's told you to leave. (laughs) Turns out there's no rules. Turns out there's no rules. (laughs) To to any of this. (laughs) Isn't that the greatest? There's no rules. (laughs) There's a a talk show, a a newsman. You may have heard of him in the Bay Area. I don't know if he's still around. He's actually now a meditation teacher. Scoop Nisker. Do you know him, uh, Mike? You know the name? (laughs) Well, Scoop used to be on uh, FM uh, music station. Then he got involved in Vipassana meditation. But his tagline on his news, when he would sign off on the news, he'd say, this is Scoop Nisker. If you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own. Mm. (laughs) Pretty nice. Pretty nice. If you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own. You know what's really weird? From having all these Zooms, me and my, my spouse watches a lot of MSNBC. And so coming from walking from like, I left you guys talking, right? So there's interaction between, at least between the screen and me. And I walk back there and he's watching Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow, why don't you talk back to me? <laughs> like, why are you the person that doesn't talk back to you? <laughs> Rachel, you're not answering me. Tell you what. This is an really, goes on really and on. Weird. Yeah, very angry. this is an upgrade. Maybe this is the new normal. Yeah, stop watching the news and just interact with people, yes. There's one other thing I wanted to say about doing. I don't want to get into the doership thing, <laughs> but but the fact that you're doing this, uh, Nick, and the and the whole idea of you know do doing is the difference between what happens and what doesn't. Um, lately, I have been. I've almost been treating it as a practice. I've I've noticed that there are things that I don't want to do that I know I should do. Right, like go for a walk every day probably a good idea and yet when the opportunity comes up to go for a walk uh, my girlfriend's very good about it and she you know we're going for a walk do you want to come uh you know if i sit there and think about it there's like a 60 to 70 percent chance i'm going to say no because i I don't know what's going to happen on the walk comfortable where i am and it's already in the middle of something and whatever 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 but but i know so strongly that this is 100 percent a good idea and that I shouldn't really be putting that much thought into it. And so lately I've been referring, so sometimes I will short circuit the decision process of do I want to go for a walk, which is what was asked. Do I want to go for a walk? And I'll be like, I don't know, but let's just do it before I think too much about it. Hey, yes. <laughs> and I've been calling that pre-deciding, right? Yep. Pre-deciding. Don't even worry about, like if you already know what the decision should be, then you already have the decision you don't need to keep going. You don't need to keep turning this over in your head and find out if you want to or you don't want to. You already have your answer. So yeah. just treat it 
and it's a little bit of a mental trick, but treat it as if you already decided. When it comes up in your mind, this question of should I do this, and you already know the answer, well, don't, don't think about it. You already decided, so keep going as if it had happened. And I, I almost like the idea, more fanciful way of thinking of it, uh, of like going back in time and deciding before this moment. Yeah. Those kinds of things. <laughs> or acting as if that's what happened. Something similar that I do is I follow the body. What is the body doing? Is it going for the walk? It's very similar to what you said, right? Yes. Because it's, yeah, it's absolutely. Just, <laughs> and it's kind of like going backwards in time, right? Because that which thinks it, whether it decided it's going to take a walk. Oh, look, I'm already, it's, it's already walking. <laughs> well, I'm going to pre-decide that we're absolutely. doing another podcast, guys. <laughs> with, with no good reason to do it. <laughs> Thank you, Wong Po, for uh, the pretext. <laughs> Thank you, Poe. <laughs> Thank you. Love you, Poe. Oh. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna Juan Poe says, get out of my temple. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have been missing the point for two hours. <laughs> okay, here's one for each of you. <laughs> here's, here's one. Slap, slap, slap. Okay, guys. Love you guys. Good to talk to you. Bye. Love you, Talk too. soon. Talk soon. Bye. Yeah.